0: Why was there another team? What? Of IMF agents at the embassy tonight.
1: I don't quite follow you. Let's see
0: if you can follow me
1: around the room.
0: The drunk Russians on the embankment at 7-8 o'clock. A couple waltzing around me at the embassy at 9 and 11. The waiter standing behind Hannah at the top of the stairs. Bow tie. 12 o'clock. The other IMF team. You're worried about me. Why?
1: Well, for a little over two years, we've been spotting serious blowback in IMF operations. We have a penetration. The other day, we decoded a message on the Internet from a check we know as Max. The arms dealer that's right max it seems has two unique gifts a capacity for anonymity and for corrupting susceptible agents this time he'd gotten to someone on the inside he'd gotten himself in a position to buy our knock list operation he referred to as job 314 the job he thought Gallitzin was doing tonight but the list install stole was a decoy is correct. The actual list is secure blindly. Uh, Galitzin was a lightning rod. He was one of ours. This whole operation was a mole This whole operation was a mole. Yeah. The mole's deep inside. And, like you said, you survived. I will show you something, Ethan. Since your father's death, your family's farm has been in receivership. Now, suddenly, they're flush with over 120 grand in the bank. Your father's illness was supposed to have wiped out that bank account. Dying slowly in America, after all, can be a very expensive proposition. So, why don't we quietly get out of here onto a plane? I can understand you're very upset.
0: Kittredge, you've never seen
1: me very upset. All right, Hunt. Enough is enough you have bribed cajoled and killed and you have done it using loyalties on the inside you want to shake hands with the devil that's fine with me i just want to make sure that you do it in hell it's
2: not your fault. don't fuck with me all right don't fuck with me i'm not you i
1: was
3: born Shut the fuck up, Donnie.
4: Me! He's looking at you, kid.
3: I'll go home and get your fucking shine box.
4: Hello to
2: all and welcome to the season premiere of the Film Effect Podcast, where we give movies the full effect deep dive for the Film Effect archive. The mission for this episode, should we choose to accept it, is to kick off our coverage of this incredible franchise with an explosive episode so big, so groundbreaking, so outrageous, your ears are going to be ringing for weeks. Simply put, it's an episode you definitely don't want to miss. So let's begin. I'm Ed. And I'm Corey. And this is Mission Impossible.
1: Good morning, Mr. Phelps. This is your mission should you choose to accept it. Should you or any member of your I Force be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow all knowledge of your actions. Ethan Hunt will be your point man, as usual. Good luck, Jim.
0: Simple game. Is he serious? Always. It's much worse than you think.
1: We're being ambushed
0: abort that's an order they knew they knew we were coming
1: do you read me i don't care how he did it i want to know why he did it you're worried about me why you survived
4: I'm sure we can find something I have that you need. I'm <laughs> No
5: one me.
1: These guys are trained to be ghosts. Let's not waste time chasing after him. Just make him come to us. Find something that's personally important to him, and you squeeze. <laughs> Seen me very upset. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds.
2: Mission Impossible, an American agent under false suspicion of disloyalty, must discover and expose the real spy without the help of his organization. Well, goddamn, we're kicking off season three with a good one. Not only that, we're doing one. Uh we're doing the entire franchise with an episode per month, leading up to July's Dead Reckoning. But as for this film in particular, I mean, we're talking about a Brian De Palma film, as crazy as that sounds. But yeah, Brian De Palma directed this, The First Mission Impossible, which we're here to talk I forgot. about today. Yeah, I man.
6: For- I forgot he did
2: that, yeah. I mean, you've got Tom Cruise, you've got a massive film leading into an already explosive summer season of films back in '96. Edge of your seat, madness. And did I mention this was directed by Brian DeFuckin' Palma? Like, Corey, talk to me. Where are you at on 96's Mission Impossible?
6: Yeah, I mean, I've always liked it. I, I remember when I first watched it, I'll be honest, I I was there for the spectacle and the the action. I didn't really understand what a knock list was because I was 10 when this movie came out. So I just knew uh, Tom Cruise was doing spy stuff. And, yeah, I enjoyed the action. I mean, it has arguably one of the most iconic action scenes in any film in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, you saw that uh, parodies. You saw clips of it, uh, takes on it. Oh, yeah. I, mean, it I, was I can't wait to
2: talk about it.
6: Yeah. So, I mean, it's got one of the most iconic scenes. And obviously Tom mm-hmm. Cruise was just on fire uh, right. at this time. Not necessarily for his action. I mean, obviously he had done... Plenty of action like Top Gun and Days of Thunder. But, uh, you know, leading up to this, uh, from what I remember, he was doing uh, more dramatic roles and stuff like that. Uh, And this was kind of like his big callback to being an action star. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think of that today because that's basically all he does his big action movies and stuff like that. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, but back in the early 90s, uh, he was kind of doing his own thing with, uh, you know, like the more dramatic roles.
2: Uh, Tom Cruise, not not a whole lot of running around in this movie, um, but no, um, fuck it, let's jump into our first time viewing. Uh, it's, it's just that
1: you see, this is actually uh, my my first time. No, no, my first, it's my first time uh, since my first time, so technically that's my second time, and I don't, I don't, I don't want to suck at it. So if I'm not up to, uh,
2: I remember seeing this at North Point Theater. Uh, during its tail run, I didn't see it when it first came out. I saw it later on in the summer. I mean, we're talking like before, I, I briefly mentioned the summer before in the uh, intro. Like, this summer of '96, so many movies like '96 in general was just like a hot year. I mean, this was the summer that uh, The Rock, Independence Day, The Nutty Professor, like a lot of stuff came out this summer so I remember seeing this at North Point uh, me and my cousin saw it and uh, yeah not a whole much else I, I remember seeing it and I remember being a big fan of it back then so it's funny enough you know you would mention you know now like having more of a a familiarity with the, uh, the, the knock list and stuff like that like, I'm still I'm still just kind of blind to all that stuff I, I really don't know what all this stuff is in fact I was going to make a a comment before I forgot to but the more i watch this movie the more i kind of like learn more and more about stuff like that not to mention about the plot like this i'll get into it more as we get into the actual plot itself like in the breakdown but this movie I, I i don't know i've i've always had a struggling relationship with for as much as i like this movie and and have always been a big fan of it like it the, the plot I've, I've always struggled with it in some sense and what i'm getting at is the more i watch this movie the more it all makes sense to me is what i guess i'm trying to say um
6: but yeah to the back to the point. point first time north point how about you yeah i saw it with my grandparents actually uh it was a like a matinee showing I'm, i believe at golden ring because it was in like the, one of the small theaters i remember it was towards the end of uh its run as well because uh, to be honest with you uh when we went to see it i mean i was mildly interested in it i mean it was like a spy action movie Mm -hmm. But I really hadn't grown to like the spy genre as much as I do now back when I I was 10. I didn't watch
2: the show or nothing like that growing up. I I had never seen an episode of the series. I saw it because it was, you know, the hot summer movie with Tom Cruise.
6: Yeah, that's essentially why I saw it too. I've never seen an episode of the show. I mean, I knew the theme song
2: and stuff, but that
6: is about it. So yeah, my grandparents, uh, my grandpa, my late grandpa John, uh, he was a fan of the show and he wanted to go see it. Um, so, yeah, he took us over to watch it, and I remember liking the movie, but I remember having no idea what the plot was about, like, I don't know, I was like, oh, they got betrayed. Yeah, Uh, I was 12 when I saw this, so, you know. Yeah, like, I mean, now it's easy enough to follow, I mean, it's still a little convoluted, like, it's definitely, you have to pay attention, but, uh, Oh, absolutely. It's... It, back then, I just had no freaking clue. I was just like, okay, yep, yep Tom Cruise is uh, breaking into Langley. I was like, I don't know where Langley is, but he's breaking into it. So, uh, But I remember liking it. I remember having a good time watching it. Uh, and then I actually remember uh, watching it several times once it came out on video. I just remember watching like the action scenes and stuff like that. It was one of those movies that I just saw a bunch of times when it uh, hit video and when it hit... Uh, the movie channels there's just some of those movies where you just see a bunch uh, right. and this was one of them but obviously my first time viewing was uh, at the tail end in the theaters uh, you know on a lazy day with my uh, grandparents <laughs> all right so before we get into the actual plot uh,
2: let's do a live top five
7: rob it's your turn
0: okay i'm feeling kind of basic today top five side ones track ones Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash.
5: Yeah.
2: Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from
1: Let's Get It On. Nirvana, smells like teen spirit off of Nevermind. Oh no,
4: Rob, that's not obvious enough, not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Louis, so you can
1: uh, get up a- Shut up, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat, Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Uh, though not and on mine. Massive Attack, no protection. The song is radiation oh. ruling the nation.
2: Uh, all right, top five television series film adaptations easy peasy lemon breezy uh i got a couple of my honorable mentions of course of course uh in in no particular order good burger the Brady bunch movie and the flintstones i have a guilty pleasure for that movie i'm sorry saw it a handful of times in the theater and it's kind of a movie that i, I go back to every like handful of years and i have a good time with it call me crazy whatever uh but yeah number five for me though is the equalizer uh kind of underrated not gonna lie denzel man uh although i'm not as high on the sequel as i am the original there's just something about this movie that i i always love coming back to revisit every couple years um it's, it's just badass it's kind of a slow burn action film that works um I don't know, real quick, where are you at on the equalizer, Corey?
6: Eh, it was okay. Okay. <laughs> I mean, Denzel was good. It was just a generic uh action movie to me that if anybody else was in the lead, right. I, I think it would probably went straight to video, but since it was Denzel and Antoine Fuqua, it's it got a theatrical. So I mean, but it was fine. It was harmless fun. The sequel I did not like. I remember actually like yeah, just I'm actively not sitting as high there. On it. Yeah, I definitely remember actively sitting there, like, when's this going to be over? I I I didn't have fun on the sequel. But the first one, yeah. And it's funny, you're talking about the Equalizer, because the only thing I think of with the show for that is uh, from the Wolf of Wall Street. When Rob Reiner is trying to watch it, and and he's like, Mother, like yelling, And then he answers, Hello? (laughs) (laughs) I love Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah,
2: my great aunt, Auntie J, we used to call her, she used to watch this on uh, USA, this and a bunch of other shows like Murder, She Wrote and shit. So that's my memory on that show. Um, But yeah, how about you? What's your number five?
6: Yeah, so I got a couple honorable mentions because it's a pretty broad category. Uh, Yeah, it is. My first one is uh, Flintstones. Uh, I enjoy that movie too, just for the like sets. And, uh, mm-hmm. just the way the movie looks and obviously the casting is spot on, um, with everybody. Uh, so yeah, I, I enjoy that movie, uh, quite a bit. Um, but my other honorable mentions Beavis and Butthead. Uh, I love Beavis and Butthead to America that, uh, that movie, it was everything I hoped for. Cause I was always a fan of the Beavis and Butthead TV show, but I always wanted, less of like the music videos and more Beavis and Butthead. So the movie obviously gives you that because you don't have the music videos and stuff like that. See, I was
2: opposite. I used to love their interactions with videos. Those were always my favorite part of the show, to be honest with you. I I, I know everyone's different, but that's just kind of, I've kind of had the same effect. Um, That being said, I'm not as high on Do America as you are. Although I did see it in the theater with my Uncle Jimmy.
6: Yeah, I, I like I liked, uh, when the agents, uh, they're talking about them whacking in the camper, and he has to say it grammatically uh, correct. He's like, the teenagers and who and which they were whacking in the camper. Like, I just love hearing <laughs> him trying to say it grammatically. It's pretty, like, that will always stick in my head. Like, I don't know why. Oh, it was that's just funny. hilarious. Um, uh, the Fugitive, I'll bring up. Uh, it's a great movie, obviously. Harrison Ford, Tommy Lee Jones. Um, the reason I didn't put it on my actual list is I had no idea it was even a TV show, to be completely honest with you. So uh, I was like, really? oh, okay. yeah, I, I had no idea. I'd never seen an episode, never heard of it. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. it's
2: pretty much from the series. The One-Armed Man, The Train Escape, all that stuff. You know, it pretty much came from the, the TV show. Yeah. It was just obviously stretched out more than just a two-hour film.
6: Right. Uh, and then my last one is probably one of the biggest surprise movies when I saw it, and that's 21 Jump Street. Um, mm. I wasn't expecting much from 21 Jump Street, but that movie made me laugh the entire time. It's still right. funny. Like, my wife and I watched it not too long ago. Uh, I love the part when, like, they accidentally do the drugs and, like, Channing Tatum.
2: Yeah, that's that's everyone's favorite part. That's a good-ass scene, though. It's pretty funny.
6: Fuck you, Miles Davis! Like, it's just like, a <laughs> thing, like, that movie's hilarious. Great cast. Uh, love the cameo from the original. Uh, uh, guys from 21 Jump Street. It's Johnny Depp. Johnny so, Depp and... Uh, oh god. Um, I don't know the, the, the other guy's name, the, yeah. Day.
2: I think it's one of the Day Louise brothers.
6: Yeah. So anyway, those are my honorable mentions. My number five is a show and movie that's very close to my heart. Uh, and that's Serenity. Uh, so Serenity is the movie mm. that was based off of Firefly. The old Joss Whedon show uh, that was doomed to fail on Fox. Uh, Probably my favorite sci fi uh, television show. And I know that's a bold statement when you have like Star Trek and stuff like that. Um, But uh, I just love the series. Like it was only one season. Just such a great idea. Uh, Just so well executed. Um, You know, how did Fox
2: cancel it before the show even ended? Oh, yeah. The season ended?
6: Oh, yeah. It was only like eight or 10 episodes or whatever. They canceled it before it was over. They aired episodes out of order, Uh, but it was great. Nathan Fillion uh, was always one of my favorite actors. I mean, he was perfect in that role and Serenity delivered uh, and was kind of like, we're sorry that that the show got canceled so quick. So yeah, Serenity delivered everything a Firefly fan could want. Uh, Just an awesome movie. If you're not familiar with it, uh, go back and check it out it's uh I know joss Whedon gets a lot of crap nowadays because the way he treats people uh you know it's obviously I I don't know a ton about that it's neither here nor there but if you want to see his good work uh check out um firefly and serenity is really good and uh Buffy as well it, it, it's another good one
2: yeah sometimes you just kind of separate the art from the artist um because I know what you're talking about uh what was I going to say? Um Yeah, Fox sort of did the same thing with uh the show The Following uh towards the end of that show and the third season.
6: Oh god, that that show had me at the beginning and it just fell apart so fast. I remember. Okay, oh, yeah,
2: the first season's great. The yeah, second season so I had a boring. lot of issues with. Like it's a lot of it's it's yeah, it's. It, I struggled to get to the second season, but I, I really did enjoy the th- the third and final season. And I knew it was I, doomed going into it. I was like, "Oh man, this show just." It just. I was actually like, I was back when I actually cared enough that I actually was checking up and had a, I had a close eye on the 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 Nelson ratings because I was just like. I, I part of me wanted the show to keep going, but the other part of me you just knew that it just was losing viewership because the second season, man, that like really, the people that did stay on board for God. that show, like at second season, I was one of a few. <laughs> I'll tell you I, that much.
6: I watched the first season, loved it. I loved Kevin Bacon, James uh Perforoy. Is that how you say his name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, uh, like I that. love, I love both of them. They're great. I love the first season, and then literally during the second season, I just looked at my phone. And I was like, "What the fuck am I doing with my life?" I'm it kind became like a flavor
2: show. of the week show. Like every episode, a different character popped up, and obviously they were part of the call. It was like, okay, how are they going to come into? The, how are they going to play? You know, a part of this story with obviously they're they're a part of what's his Face is called. because everyone on this show turns into it one way or another. It's, it's very. Yep. It it was insane, you know? Um, but I enjoyed how they brought him back for the third season. But then they just kind of, like, killed him off in a ho-hum way towards the end. And then the last handful of episodes, <clears throat> Fox canceled the show. And they still had, like, four or five episodes left. And they were just randomly showing it whenever. Like, it was no longer a Monday night at 9 o'clock show. It was, like... All right, we'll just put it on next uh, Thursday at nine thirty or or whatever. Like it was hard to keep up, and that was like those were the days of like the I had like the 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 DVR. Like good luck, cause it was never on when it was supposed to be. So <laughs> I, I I ended up just waiting, and I watched the last handful of episodes. Like I either watched them on demand or I downloaded them more torrent. But yeah, I, I it's it was it's sad how it ended. Cause the show actually ended with a fucking cliffhanger. So pretty, it was a it was a pretty interesting cliffhanger too. It involved Kevin Bacon now becoming sort of bad ish. And I was like, Oh, well this is this is different. Oh, oh it's over. Okay. So anyway, uh anyway, back to the countdown. Number four. Uh the Addams family. I love The Adams Family. I love The Addams Family values equally, if not more, a little bit. Um, both these films are great. I'm, I'm speaking for the uh, Barry Sodenfeld films from the early 90s. Uh, that variety and not whatever this new version is. Nor am I talking about Wednesday on Netflix. I'm talking about, you know I'm talking about, Corey. You know. <clears throat> yeah. These two films are great. They're fucking hilarious. They both hold up. I just watched them both recently for the Halloween season. And um, yeah, I actually just bought Values last weekend. I was at Soundgarden and they had a brand new copy with the slipcover for $7.99 brand new. I thought it was used actually. And I went home and I opened it up and I saw the cellophane still on one. I was like, oh shit, this is brand new. So yeah.
6: Anyway, that's that. How about you? My number four is kind of a broad one, but uh, Batman. Um, so there was the Batman okay. Batman show uh, that obviously... But it's based on a comic. Yeah, but here's where I can pull this one out. <laughs> is Batman the Animated Series was adapted into several movies, and that was based off of the TV show. It was based in the same world. So uh, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, Batman vs. Sub-Zero. Um... Batman Mask of the Phantasm is legitimately my second or third favorite Batman film, and it's an animated kids' movie, but uh, that's just how good it is. Uh, so I wanted to put it on the list because it was based off of the show. Uh, I remember being so excited because I used to love the show. I watched it every single day when I get home from school. Uh, I remember the movie was coming out, they put more money into it, they had CG, more uh, better animation. And no one gave a crap. <laughs> no one ever went and saw it. <laughs> right. So, uh, the, like, the score was awesome. Like, it was, like, this orchestral score they did with the movie. And just no one cared. But uh, anything that's related to the Batman animated series in the Diniverse is excellent. Like, uh, if you're talking about the movies in this case, or Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, um, all that is excellent. Superman... Uh, Adventures of Superman, all of that tied to the Batman animated series and Paul Dini are just fantastic. So, uh, mm. but in this case, I'm talking about the movies. Uh, they're all high quality. Uh, okay. No,
2: that, that makes perfect sense that I think about it. So, okay. Um, yeah, I, I gotta go back on Mass of Phantasm. I really had to revisit that one because everyone has that movie high on their list and I'm like, Really, guys. Okay, um, it's been so long since I've seen that movie too, so I really can't judge. I'm. Just, it's just so surprising, you know. Um, where are we at now? Number three. Uh, one of your honorable mentions, The Fugitive. I'm a big uh-huh. fan of The Fugitive. Um, in fact, I'm kind of a guilty pleasure, uh, sucker for uh U.S. Marshals too. While you're at it. But yeah, The Fugitive, uh, just great stuff, uh, the, the intense train sequence, even to this day, rewatching it a couple months back, knowing what's gonna happen, you're still, like, ugh, you tense up watching it, it's, it's great, it's still effective. Um, that being said, just the journey that Kimball goes on, it's just so interesting to watch, watch play out, um... You know, there's some still some questionable things. He should definitely should have been caught a few times, but you know, it's a movie, so we got to keep things going for the plot purpose. So, um, anyway, uh, the ending, it it is what it is. It's like I mentioned before, it's it's taken straight from the show. So you know, um, if you watch the show, you pretty much know how the film is gonna end. And I can see how it came out of nowhere. It's like all of a sudden in the third act. We reveal this man with one hand. And the one-armed man. And it's like what? what this, this random ass element. Well that's where kids television show. Anyway. And that's why the third act. of It kind of like falls apart on itself. So. That's my take on The Fugitive. But the first two quarters. Of the, the, the first two uh, acts are just phenomenal. It's great stuff. I, I love going back and re-watching The Fugitive when I can, so that's why it's kind of so high on my list.
5: So uh, yeah.
2: How about you? What,
6: what was the Leslie Nielsen movie that uh, parodied that? I forget the title of the film, but I remember oh, watching wrongfully it. Accused wrongfully accused. I like it. Like Mm -hmm. when he's coming out with a name, like Buzzum Frog. That's my name. Buzzum Frog.
2: (laughs) And It's like, I gotta go back and rewatch it. I saw the other day I was scrolling through YouTube. It was on there to watch the movie. So I gotta, maybe I'll press play one day and watch (laughs) that.
6: I just remember the one arm, one eyed, one handed, uh, one leg. It was like one everything, man. (laughs) I don't
2: remember anything about that movie, to be honest with you. I really don't
6: I just remember Buzzum Frog like he's in like a fish <laughs> shop and he's like what's your name? Uh, look, that's, right,
2: that's right he's looking around at all the stuff and everything he sees, he sees <laughs> yeah. that's what he's answering with that's right I uh, <laughs> got a restroom that was one of them restroom
6: yeah that that was a funny and movie and after he
2: gets out the guy notices like he kind of like goes back and plays out everything that he just heard and looks around That that's that was, yeah okay that's funny <laughs>
6: Anyway, uh, my number three, uh, you already mentioned it, uh, and that's The Addams Family. Uh, ha- I had to put it on there. I love both those films. You can tell uh, Barry Sonnenfeld loved The Addams Family. Uh, oh, yeah. There's just a ton of love that goes into the both those movies, the casting. I mean, I love Raul Julia. I mean, it's just such a shame he passed at such an early age. Mm-hmm. Just fantastic his gomez. The costume design, the sets. Everything just looks fantastic. Yeah. I mean, no offense to um, uh, Guzman, but uh, this Raul Julia just is so good. I don't um, think Guzman's seen any offense. He knows. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I watched some of the Wednesday show as my wife was watching it, and it was pretty good. I think, um, what's her name? Jenny Ortega was really good. I love Jenny Ortega
2: so much, but I've I've yet to watch the show, though. She was I mean, no stellar to watch it.
6: Yeah, she was stellar, but uh yeah, some of the other casting in there, I was like, oh, Luis Guzman. Oh man, he I was not a fan. I know he looks the part, but uh he is no, not. He doesn't. Yeah, does. well, actually Gomez from the comic he looks strip was so- like
2: Uncle Fester.
6: Yeah, well, Gomez actually is kind of short and fat in the comic strip, so I mean, he does kind of look like him. Uh, but anyway. that's true. was it um
2: Speaking of Fester, uh, my boy plays him from Portlandia. From uh, what the hell? Is yeah, this
6: Fred, Fred Armisen. Fred yeah. Armisen, or Armis? I never know how to say his name. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just Armisen. Armisen, yeah, he's in there. He's only uh, on one episode, but uh, yeah, he oh, that's he's it? in there. That's it. It's it's all Wednesday. Oh, what the like fuck? you get you get a few episodes with um with uh God. Gomez And uh, Morticia, you get like one episode with Uncle Fester. That's about it.
2: It's Catherine Zeta-Jones plays Morticia, right?
6: Yeah, and she's pretty good. Actually, I like her. I mean, not as good as Angelica Houston, but uh, pretty decent. I think she was a good pick for the role. But uh, anyway, back to the Fell films. I love both of them, too. Uh, just great. I love, uh, actually, I think this might be a hot take, but I think I love Values better. Honestly, just because oh, yeah. of uh, Joe Cusack's too, uh, role, like just hearing her say Malibu Barbie, <laughs> Malibu like I will,
2: Barbie.
6: I will yeah. never forget that as oh. long as I live. And then like when she, like shocks them all, like I just love uh, Joe Cusack in that film. She like is such a standout. Like, Plus, she, you get
2: Wednesday and Pugsley getting sent to uh the. the the camp with the oh, Thanksgiving yeah. thing—that's that why it's a great Thanksgiving movie. Yeah, that whole
6: B plot is is awesome. I love uh, like the way Christina Ricci smiles when she's trying to mm-hmm. uh, make it look like she's happy, and I love when <laughs> uh, you know she, the, the pilgrims take over. And uh, I don't know the kid's name. Uh, her her love interest. Uh, I I know he's been in a ton of stuff. I I cannot think of his name. But it was funny seeing him as like a little Gomez. Um, yeah, it, it was, I, everything in that movie works, uh, but yeah, Joe Cusack who's, was- Whose de- love
2: interest? Who are we talking about? Wednesday. Oh, David
6: Krumholtz. David Crumholtz, yeah. I know he's in a ton of stuff. I just couldn't think of yeah, his name. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah, Santa he was Claus. great.
6: Yeah, Santa Claus, and then, uh, in a small part, Bernard. in Harold
2: Kumar. That's right, Harold Kumar. And he was also in, wasn't he in my favorite movie ever, Superbad?
6: <laughs> I think so. Yeah, he is. Yeah, He's in the cocaine
2: right. scene. Yeah.
6: So anyway, um, I just love both those films, just about equally. Uh, they both have their positives. Uh, I always but- remember—I
2: forgot which one it is—but I remember uh, Nathan Lane and the cameo as like a cop at the at the desk, and I'll always remember his line for some bizarre reason: "Hook 'em, book 'em, cook 'em now," or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And Gomez loses his mind at the yes. station.
6: Yeah. That is pretty good. Those movies are classics. I think they're highly underrated. Uh, great family fun. Yeah. Values gets brought
2: up a lot lately on oh, Thanksgiving time for obvious reasons. But other than that, I'll definitely say they're underrated as shit.
6: <laughs> I'm a turkey. Kill me.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pugsley. It's good stuff. All right, then. Uh, where are we at now? Number two. two. Uh, another one of your honorable mentions. 21 Jump Street. This is a great rewatch. Every time. It's hilarious. I just recently uh, bought both of them on 4K, 21 and 22. Because I think they're both equally as funny. Uh, But 21, though, I'll never forget when it came out about 10 years ago. Um, I didn't see it in theater. But I remember Lauren went to the flea market and she must have ran into one of the bootleg tables because she came back with this dvd rip of 21 jump street while i was still in theaters and i was like all right well it's only paid like you know four or five bucks for it i guess we can watch it and i remember putting it on and like it was a fucking damn good copy like it was definitely like not like a camcorder it was definitely like a 720p you know rip or something like that but anyway the movies itself like i remember laughing like i remember going into it like kind of just you know thinking and it's gonna be you know yeah chuckles here and there i legit laughed like belly laughed at like a good bit of that movie like it had some really good stuff like the, the one-liners and everything like it's there's some really funny material in that movie Um, that still holds up today, even watching it, you know, the acting's great, the jokes fall, or the jokes land, I'm I'm a big fan of the soundtrack as well, so yeah, 21 Jump Street, number two.
6: Yeah, my number two is this film, uh, you know, obviously this franchise has far eclipsed the TV show, I mean, I would argue to say probably, especially most younger people might not even realize it's based off a TV show, um... You know, back in the mid-90s, it made a lot more sense because there was a lot of people, obviously, that had watched the show back in... I don't know the exact dates, but, uh, like, the 60s and There's 70s, no I think 60s. it was. Yeah, so, uh, you know, in the 90s, they would have been, uh, you know, middle-aged, so it made sense then. But now, the series has been running for so long, it's just turned into its own thing, essentially. Uh, and it's just gotten better, in my opinion, yeah. Uh, you know, it's just like each movie is just quality. Honestly, there's not a terrible movie in the whole bunch. I mean, uh, the second one is definitely questionable, but uh, I think all of them are good. And I think the s- film series has far eclipsed the TV show. Uh, so I had to definitely put it at number two, Mission Impossible.
2: Yeah, number one for me is Mission Impossible. Um, for all those reasons, except for... Dude, I'm I'm I gotta rewatch it, I guess, because I'm not high on Rogue Nation like everybody is. I mean, oh, Rogue really? Nation is some people's favorite fucking movie of the franchise, and I'm like, really? I just did not like that. Both times I I saw it in the theater, and then I went back and revisited it since when it came out on Blu-ray, and like both times, like just
6: didn't do it for me. Like, nah.
2: Huh?
6: I don't know. Surprising. Yeah. So, yeah i oh. i liked this it. it's not my favorite either but uh i really liked it i mean i think it's i think all of them are strong honestly uh, after the second one <laughs> I, i'm
2: gonna have to go back and you know revisit it in a few months from now for the episode but you know i i'm embracing that i'm looking forward to doing it because you know it's been a couple years since i watched it but
5: yeah, we'll yeah. see
2: I mean, I doubt I'm going to turn a new leaf on it, but maybe. I don't know. We'll
6: see. Who knows? Maybe I will. How about you? What's your number one? Anyway, my number one, uh, I think, is a franchise that's iconic in both rights still, uh, and that's Star Trek. Uh, just I couldn't think of another franchise that's just held down so well on TV and in film mm-hmm. uh, because it's just had such a long and strong run on both formats. Right. So I put it at number one. Um, you know, a disclaimer here. The only Star Trek show I've ever watched was uh, The Next Generation. Um, I never watched the original series. I never watched any of the subsequent ones or the newer ones that are on. Um, what are they on? Paramount Plus or whatever. Yes. Um, Yeah. Or Picard. I've never watched any of the new stuff. Uh, just The Next Generation. I just remember watching reruns. Uh, but yeah, to me, Picard um, is the quintessential captain um, Patrick Stewart, obviously, uh, Brent Spiner, I've always loved his data. Um, so that's like my jam. And I I've seen all the star Trek movies from the original, uh, cast to the next generation to the JJ Abrams, uh, newer ones. Uh, and there's definitely some hits and misses in there. Like the first star Trek movie is a bore, uh, Khan obviously is a classic and love it. Uh, search for Spock is another one. It's kind of a bore. It's kind of like hit or miss on and off uh, at the beginning. But uh, I'm a fan of all the Next Generation movies, even if they're not the greatest. Like, I remember the Nemesis one that was like, I think the last Next Generation movie they came out where they tried to make Picard more of an action star. And uh, it was a young Tom Hardy in there. Uh, oh, that movie right, wasn't Tom so Hardy great. Oh, Tom Hardy is in that. Yeah, that movie wasn't so great, I remember. But like, First Contact. First Contact is probably my favorite Star Trek film. Uh, that that movie's great. Um, yeah, I, I actually like first contact. Yeah, I actually recently rewatched. I forgot it's like a young Neil McDonough in there. <laughs> He's uh, he plays his, his name is Hawk or something like that. Um, Yeah so, a lot
2: of people show up in that movie. Alice Creage is the the board queen.
6: Oh yeah, she's great. Yeah, she she's, is.
2: she's great in that movie. Perfect
6: in that role. Uh, because she was great in that. Um. Gretel and Hansel movie I saw a couple of years back, too. She's fantastic in that. She's good at hey, playing those type of roles. We gotta bring up Sleepwalkers, previous episode. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, Sleepwalkers. Uh. Uh, but yeah, as far as Star Trek, it just had such a strong run in both formats. So iconic. So that that's why I picked that as my number one. Um, and Abrams movies, y- you know, are they a little bit dumbed down, a little bit mainstream? I like the first one, that's it. Actually, I'll say Star Trek Beyond, uh, I think it was the latest one uh, that came out, whatever it was, seven, eight years it ago now. Trek Beyond, yeah. Uh, that one was pretty good. That was a return to form. The, uh, Yeah, the and the first Star Trek was pretty good. You know, it's a little <laughs> bit uh, dumbed down, but that's okay. Yeah, the movies are good, and uh, Chris Pine as Kirk was a good choice, and Zachary Quinto always seemed like a robot to me, so I think it was a good pick to play Spock. <laughs> so uh yeah i i had to put that that was like the first thing that popped into my head i was like yeah star trek's gotta be uh my number one
2: all right then i guess that's it right yep all right well let's jump into uh mission impossible All right, so little brief background information. Paramount had the rights to the Mission Impossible, but they never done anything with it before. Enter Tom Cruise. That's where he comes into play. One of the biggest stars at the time, well, still is. He was a big show of the. Uh, the uh, he was a big fan of the show growing up. He wanted to make an <laughs> adaptation of it
6: you uh, think he was watching it and they're like your mission should you choose to accept it and he's <laughs> like yes I do accept it and he runs and starts trying John, to produce the movie Sums up
2: on this couch <laughs> yeah um so yeah he um had this new production company at the time with uh what's her face um I, uh, why is it drawing a blank Paul Wagner and so, this was the first project that he wanted to touch... He wanted to do an adaptation of Mission Impossible. So, he got with Paramount... And got them to agree to greenlight the movie. He deferred his... $200 million fee... For a percentage of the box office takings... And then... Entered De Palma. Cruz and De Palma had a chance meeting one day... When Cruz was having dinner with Steven Spielberg. Cruz then went home... Watched all of De Palma's movies... And I doubt he watched all of them. I doubt he watched <laughs> I doubt Tom Cruise was sitting there in his living room watching Obsession.
6: Hopefully he now, watched Blowout. That's a good one.
2: He, he probably skipped over that one too. And went to work convincing Vincent De Palma to direct his Mission Impossible movie.
6: Hold on, you the, said two hundred million, you mean twenty million?
2: Did I say two hundred?
6: Yeah. I was like, damn, that's a big fee right there. Yeah, okay. Let's go back and uh
2: yeah. Twenty million. Yeah, 20 million fee. Okay. Uh, yeah, De Palma said that one of the reasons he agreed to uh, direct the film was because he needed a commercial hit at the time. I guess. Cruz was working on a story for the movie with director Sidney Pollack when De Palma signed on to the project. Excuse me. Uh, he and Cruz then went over a couple drafts of the screenplay, but nobody was happy with it. At this point, De Palma decided to bring in a few big names to work on the script for himself. Steven alien Robert Town, and David ne- David Cope all worked on the project. Cope had ties with Spielberg and De Palma having written Jurassic Park and Carlito's Way. That said Mission That's right, he did do uh, Carlito's Way, not that long before this. That said Mission Impossible still went into pre-production without a script. That De Palma was happy with. Even on set, De Palma was working on crafting action set pieces while Town was coming up with hooks for the story they could hang on the they could hang the plot on while um Ket was working on crafting that plot. There had been long rumors that De Palma and Cruz clashed during the film process. These rumors began surfacing when De Palma backed out of promotional interviews for the film. And Composer Alvin Silvestri was originally hired to do the score for the film, but ultimately he did not do it. His work was rejected, and he was replaced by Danny Elfman. There's some rumors that Silvestri completed 20 minutes of the score before Cruz gave him the boot during post-production. Elfman, in turn, only had a few weeks to do the complete score for the movie. Silvestri recycled the material he had written. And he used it for the score to the film Eraser. Same year as this, actually. Um, I like Eraser. I saw that in the theaters. And it's funny because 96 was when I first saw my first two R-rated movies in the theater. And it was Eraser with my cousin. And then, actually, I think The Birdcage was the other film. I think that was first. I saw The Birdcage with my mom and my grandmother. But then I saw later on that year, um... The eraser with uh <laughs> him and Vanessa. You ever seen Eraser?
6: Yeah, yeah. Arnie and uh Jimmy Conn look like he doesn't care Jimmy at all.
2: Conn, that's right. And Vanessa Williams.
6: He's like uh I just remember like James Conn the whole time is like, uh yeah, uh, you know, whatever. I'm a bad guy, I guess. <laughs> just yeah. like looks off to the side, like you could tell he didn't care, but I like the yeah, the whole gun thing was the gun really neat to me. It looked really cool. Yeah, it it was neat.
2: Yeah, I like Razor. And one of his, one of uh, Khan's goons, one of his uh, suits in that film was uh, Kaufman's father, A Man on the Moon. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so speaking of for the movie, uh, speaking of the score, the uh, Larry Mullen Jr. and Adam Clayton, aka the guys from U two, who aren't Bono or the Edge, did a <laughs> remix of the theme song for the movie. It proved quite successful. In addition to becoming a top 10 hit, it was nominated for a Grammy for Best Pop Instrumental Performance. Do you remember this? I remember they had a music video that played on MTV and everything for this goddamn song. And it's just them two, like, like I just said, remixing the theme for the fucking movie, that, which is taken from the TV show.
6: No, I don't remember that. I remember the later one, what was it, M I Two with Limp uh, Bizkit. take a look around with Limp Bizkit. Yeah.
2: I remember that oh, one. We'll get to that next month. But yeah, dude, this was a. Uh, this was the first I actually owned the soundtrack. And this was the first song on the soundtrack. And like I said, it had a video that played on M T V on Rotation. And uh I always thought it was weird. Like the two guys from U two who like never got talked about, like they just took this project they tackled it themselves and this this is when they peaked in popularity because it's never been yeah it's it's never happened since so apple paid 15 million dollars for promotion attached to the film this included an apple laptop appearing in the movie that was for an upcoming model that hasn't even that wasn't even functional yet not only is this the only film in the franchise where ethan hunt doesn't fire a gun it's the only one to not have shootouts or gunfights. Did you notice that watching this this recent time?
6: I did, yeah. It really I is. did too. Uh, Light on the gunfights. I, I forgot about that because the later movies still have the spy element, but they definitely turned into more of an action spectacle, whereas this film is definitely much more rooted in the original show and rooted in a spy movie where they're doing spy things and spy missions and not necessarily just shooting people. Half the time, like they are in the newer movies.
2: you just see Phillips at the end and the luggage train with the the gun, and that's like the closest thing to a gunfight you get in this movie. I mean, I was thinking about, because I always, like, I told, I I don't know, if it was you or my brother or Justin or someone earlier this week or last week I was talking to about how I do my podcast breakdown like how i you know do things behind the scenes and i was talking to i was mentioning that i always do my notes after you know watching the movie and then before i did my notes i was just thinking that and i was just going through my notes that it was that this got brought up and i'm like yeah i was thinking about that myself it's like there's no guns no shootouts nothing like that like this movie is like it's a this movie is so different from the rest and that's why i like it so much like like we can talk about this now like it's it's like it's about how it's it's more just plot driven and the plot itself it's not boring it's it's really interesting and it keeps you engaged and the movie itself i think this is like the only film in the series that doesn't that doesn't you know, that's, that's under two hours and if, if if there's another one that's under two hours then it's it's like just under because this is like a this was a easy hour and 50 minutes that's it you know yeah. it's not like two and a half or three hours long like most of them are now like this is yeah. just a nice easy watch
6: you can definitely tell uh it's close to the source material uh obviously i've never seen the show so i can't speak on it but uh they were definitely taking and modifying the show and making it into a movie. It definitely feels like a spy movie. Oh, yeah. Whereas right. the later ones, even the next movie, turns into more of just a straight-up action movie where you have Tom Cruise climbing on a freaking cliff, and then, uh, you know, you have them pulling masks off each other every ten seconds and crazy motorcycle stuff. Like, it's just... And then, obviously, all the subsequent movies, it's you're really... I mean, obviously the plots are interesting sometimes, but you're there to see Tom Cruise and what he's going to jump off of or throw himself off of or what's going to happen next for the big uh, action set piece. Whereas in this film, obviously it has the action and iconic scenes, uh, but it's really down to just spy stuff like, uh, you know, we got to make this guy think he killed somebody so he'll give us information. Uh, Then we got to wait for... Uh, this guy to get this list and then we'll get it from him and then we gotta break in the Langley you know it's just much more spy uh, movie in this than it is a big action blockbuster like it turns into yeah exactly
2: <clears throat> um so Reza Badi the person responsible for directing more episodes of the original Mission Impossible show than anybody else he was brought in by Paramount to be on set for consulting and advising for the, you know, throughout production. So De Palma comes up to him on the first day of shooting or whatever, or his first day, whatever it was, and told him how much he had enjoyed the original show. He was a big fan. He added that the movie would not be, it would be nothing like the show, however, and that his presence on set would only result in making them both uncomfortable. But D, but D thanked him for his honesty and left the set never to return. I got a kick at that story. I was like, okay, cut. just respect the honesty, I guess, you know? Like, look, you don't want to be here because this is nothing like what you did. I respect your work, but I'm doing my own thing. And this, would only, this, this is just going to end in heartbreak if you stick around. <laughs>
6: Yeah, it's like, why don't you go watch the guys making the shitty video game on the Nintendo 64 about the show? It's like, I'm why sure don't you guys go do that?
2: They're down They're down the studio set shooting Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Go consult them on that. Uh, the filmmakers delivered this movie on time and under budget, with Tom Cruise doing most of his own stunts. Surprise. The first movie to have been released to over 3,000 theaters in the U.S., um what else so let so the film centered around this this knock list um yeah like the potential release of it like the, the the film is about preventing that traditionally when a spy is caught we could talk about what the knock list is for listeners trust trust me i didn't know what the hell the knock list was until this most recent uh viewing Traditionally, when a spy is caught, the spy's home country will admit that the person was a spy and get that person back by releasing a spy they have captured from the same country that captured theirs. A knock list, or I'm sorry, a knock agent or non official cover is disavowed by his or her country should he or she be captured, which essentially means he or she would be executed as an unauthorized spy. Thus, this list falling into the wrong hands would result in several spies being killed. The concern about blowing such an agent's cover is no longer just a fantasy concocted for the movie. I just literally copied that and wrote that down on my notes. Um, Reading that out loud doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, What do you know about the knock list and the plot and all that?
6: Uh, I mean I just know the knock list is uh, matches up the names uh, like, I the know it's like the actual
2: isn't it, isn't it the real names of the spies or something like that
6: yeah it's the real names of the spies to their known um, covers and knock is non-official cover um, so basically if the list goes out all these spies are going to be outed because uh, it has their information and yeah they're all going to get killed by the different countries and stuff like that and it it's like, when I first saw it, I didn't realize that, obviously, it all turns out to be a setup. Like, the actual knock list at the beginning of the movie was never actually being stolen. It was just a setup to get Ethan Hunt to go steal the actual knocklist in Langley in the middle of the movie. And then for, uh, I forget his name, but John Voight's character to uh, get the knocklist from Jim him Phelps. later and sell it. Yeah. So, uh, that I didn't realize when I was a kid. I. I didn't know that it was all set up for Ethan Hunt at the beginning. just well, the movie's just to get about him to it. the mole. The movie's about
2: finding the mole. That's oh, actually yeah. what the film is centered on. The necklace is more of a MacGuffin. It's just the. I think you and I are still. Are I think you and me are thinking about the 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 movie differently. Like everything you just said. Like it makes sense, but I always, to to my understanding, this movie was always about the mole. Like to me, the whole first mission, that's why you, um, um, uh, Kittrich has the second unit there. There's a second team, his team. He had a backup team there because you know, he, There's a whole sequence yeah. that we're, we're going to get into where Ethan, you know, looks back and points out every single person from the team. From yeah, they're trying to the get night. the mole.
6: And Voight knows that and sets up Ethan Hunt that they think he's the mole and then that way Ethan Hunt to try to clear his name is going to go get the knocklist and find the mole himself and then Voight's plan is to steal the knocklist from him. That's the whole plot of the movie.
2: See, Even talking about this movie it gets confusing. But I still love it. I don't know. Um, oh and the whole mask thing. Ah, we'll get into that. Fuck it. Uh let's let's get into it. So, oh, one last tidbit. Uh this was the last film to be released by uh on, on Betamax. So, anyway. Huh. I, I to be honest with you, I didn't even know Betamax was still a thing in the mid-90s. Yeah. who knew? Anyway, we begin in Kiev with Jim Phelps and his IMF team. They're completing their latest mission. Emilio Estevez is watching from his monitor. Tom Cruise, he's like, he's playing this Russian knock-around
6: guy (laughs) when I was young. I didn't even realize it was him (laughs) when I was little. I was like, who's that guy on there? I was like, oh, that's Tom Cruise. Like, how is,
2: what is going on? He's just slapping this guy who's crying around. This guy, Dimitri. Like, Dimitri is like, like, it's like a fucking, like, common Russian name in these movies. Um, It's like, Hollywood only knows one Russian name, Dimitri. With this, he, uh, he he, 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 um, this, this, this woman dead on his bed. He gets Dimitri to admit that he killed her. With this, he's knocked out, and the woman thought to be dead comes to for cruise. And she asks if they got it. He said they got it, and he's very vague. And then we cut to the opening credits, um, the, the very spoilerific opening credits. <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah, this fucking credit sequence, I never just saw it before, but then I was looking back on it after I was getting my notes and shit, and I was like, no way. I went back and watched this, the opening credits again. It's not even credits, it's the opening, the, the title card montage, rather. It, it reveals, like, various plot points and spoilers throughout the film. Like, you get, like, huh. Phelps being revealed as the villain, The deaths of various members from the IMF team in the beginning. Like, all that shit's revealed, like, in just really quick blink and you'll miss it, like, flashes throughout the opening, you know, title montage.
6: Yeah. And I just want to say one thing I appreciate this film, the use of the disguises and masks, because it doesn't go into completely ridiculous territory yet. Like, oh, like, number two. yeah, like Tom Cruise has his mask on at the beginning here to make him look like an older Russian guy, but you can still tell it's Tom Cruise under a mask, and it actually looks realistic. And then later, when he's like playing the senator, it actually looks yeah. like Tom Cruise it's, just it's, old. Yeah, it, it's done in a way spies would actually do it. Uh, so yeah, and the work Rob Boutine does is good, like all the uh, mask and prosthetics and stuff like that.
2: I'm glad you mentioned that Rob Boutine um the legendary from the thing and countless other fucking movies robocop robocop and total recall and he helped out um um uh, rick baker on the howling uh yeah it it, and this was the only film in the franchise that does it practically after this see you all digital yeah. And that's I, why it's not like Tom Cruise underneath of like a fake. That's why it's the only film where it's just like him playing these aliases and yeah. the other movies. It's just other actors. And then once they pull off their face, you know, cut to this ugly, disgusting CG shit where like it's just Tom Cruise now suddenly taken off the face of the other actor.
6: Yeah, so stupid. I'm like, it, it made no sense to me. Uh, obviously, the second movie is the uh, one that's guilty. of that. We're gonna have a
2: field day with this fucking co- topic. I mean, I. Topic,
6: I feel like it was like every other scene that was happening. So, oh, it's ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, in this film, I'll give it credit. Like it actually is used in a realistic way that a spy would actually use makeup <laughs> in a disguise.
2: <clears throat> yeah. Uh, flight home. Jim Phelps, John Voight, rather. Where are you at on John Voight?
6: Not. Personally,
2: eh. as an actor,
6: <laughs> he's fine. I mean, around this time, he was pretty much always playing the villain. Like, I mean, it's kind of a giveaway. Like, I remember this yeah, Anaconda. He was in some
2: great movies, Anaconda, <laughs> Guilty Pleasure, Enemy of the State. One of my personal favorites. This. Yeah,
5: so many, I mean, he's in
2: a lot, a lot more than I can think of. He's been, he's been in so many movies. You know, Baby Genius aside, he's been in a lot of great movies. <laughs>
6: Yeah, I mean he's a good actor, but he's never he's never been one of my favorites. He never stood out, or I'm like I gotta watch that movie because John Voight's in there. Varsity Blues, varsity blues. Yeah, he was good in Varsity Blues. I did like him there. Uh, so, but yeah, he's always been fine. Like he's good in the movie. Uh, but yeah, I, there's very few times where I've actually like, oh yeah, he's the standout or something like that. He's always always a. Solid piece of the film. He's the yeah. standout. <laughs> yeah, he, he's always a solid piece of the film. But I'll say this. I I always thought this airplane scene was so cool. Like when he watches his little uh, yes. you know, has the little screen that pulls pop up. Pop the tape in by your side. Oh, God. Yeah, pop the That's tape awesome. in. I thought it was so cool, but it was just kind of funny. Because like, it's always been funny to me. that like, your mission, should you choose to accept it? And they're like, your team's already in place doing all this stuff. So what happens if he says no? Like are the like, I do oh. not accept. Okay. Mm. So then his team is like, Well shit, what do we do now? We're already here doing all this stuff. <laughs> Cause they even say that, like they're like, Your team's already in place and been working on this for days. Like so like if he doesn't accept it, the team is just like, All right guys, pack it ah. up, time to go home. John Voight wanted to go to uh Jamaica or something. Hmm, damn dude, you should have saved that
2: question for one of the the new categories coming up later. That would have been a good <laughs> one. Yeah. oh uh, yeah. So that plane, he gets that tape put in, and it's you know it's revealed to be his team's next mission. They got to photograph this rogue agent, Alexander Gotteslin and uh, Gottis Gottlitsen. Alexander Gottlitsen stealing the knock list throwing a party at the embassy. So they got to they got to film they got to snap a picture of this guy in the act. Then they got to follow him to the buyer. Then they got to apprehend both of them. Meanwhile, all this is taking place in Prague. Remember smoking on airplanes? Remember those days?
6: <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, what, about 10 years before you couldn't?
2: Man. I think you st- I think they stopped having cigarettes on flight. Listen to me, guess to me. I've never been on an airplane before. But I would imagine they stopped that shit after nine eleven, where they stopped everything pretty much, it, it, or so I'm told. Uh, so yeah, John Voigt, um, on, what happened? Where are we at now? Yeah, they're out there briefing.
3: Very straightforward objective. We photograph Golitzin stealing the knock list, follow him to his buyer, apprehend both of them. Now, here's the plot. Ethan, you're going into the embassy in character during a party, hide in plain sight, highest possible profile. Are you game? Wouldn't have it any other way. Sarah, you're at the party already as the Embassy's Washington Visitor Liaison. Make contact with Ethan. You'll run the game together.
4: I have nothing to wear.
3: Well, I'm sure you'll work it out. The will mark Galitz and hand him off to Hannah. Hannah, you'll have him for the duration of the interior. Find yourself a perch and stay on him. No problem. Jack. Yeah? Fingerprint security. There's access through the elevator shaft here. So I guess I'm not wearing my tux. Open, close, get out. Zero residual presence. Claire, Mm -hmm. your cover outside in the vehicle. Hannah will join you as Glitzen goes exterior. You two stay on him from there. Okay. Anything goes wrong, I call abort. Everybody walk away immediately. Regroup here at 4 a.m. That's 0400. Any questions?
0: Yeah. Can we get a cappuccino machine in here? because I don't know what you call this I call it cruel and unusual
5: <laughs> I, I made that coffee
0: <laughs> exactly <laughs> is it possible it's even worse than the sledge you made in that barn in Kiev thank you Hey, well, take it he's
5: yeah, in my wife's coffee
2: <laughs> Ethan tells Jim that he missed him in Kiev where uh, he mentions being put up in the Drake Hotel in Chicago remember that kids Emilio's Jack shows up and uh he's he's showing Ethan this red light, green light chewing gum.
5: <laughs>
6: hasta yeah.
2: lasagna, just don't get it any on you.
6: Yeah, Dude. I was like, what is that line? <laughs> yeah. Like, where did that come from?
2: I don't know. Hasta, hasta la vista, hasta lasagna. Just, it's probably Emilio just sitting there, ad-libbing, going off script, and they're like, all right, we'll keep it. So they actually filmed this movie in Prague. Like, this was De Palma's idea He convinced Tom Cruise to go along with it. De Palma reasoned that Prague was not just a beautiful city, but one that was rarely, if ever, a location for a major motion picture. So at the mission, Ethan's disguised as Senator Jack, (laughs) so-and-so.
6: It's a good thing the senator looks just like Tom Cruise. I know. (laughs)
2: He's supposedly fly-fishing Tom Cruise in heavy robotee makeup so yeah the mission like they gotta like spray this guy and hannah watches with these like 70s glasses that kind of gives herself away and she's awkwardly just standing there on this ledge at this party watching this this guy with this like spray on his shoulder it's like it's i don't know it's it's not, I don't know. It's kind of an obvious plot, uh, not plot, uh, or um, she's obvious. Jesus, those glasses just she can you just imagine being at the party? Be like, what's with that woman up there just standing at the ledge, just awkwardly staring with those glasses? What's up with those glasses anyway? <laughs> like, yeah, so many questions, so little time. Meanwhile, Jack's on the elevator, he's on the elevator rather, on the uh in this shaft and he's gonna be there the entire time and you know him and Cruz though in this movie like Jack and and Ethan like their friendship like I could watch a spin-off with these two guys like just see one mission with those two like you know partnering up you know together because you see them kind of like bonding before the mission like in that room you know with the whole interaction when he's showing them the gum and then when they're talking they're kind of like tag teaming the conversation with uh jim while he's talking about being in chicago while they were away on their mission i don't know it's just a vibe that i got between these two i kind of wanted to see more of it um and and, you know plus we're about to find out they they only get so little time together Making quips, calling off dates during their mission. You know, you see it again here. It's its just, I love it between these two. The bannering. Um, yeah. So the, they complete their mission. Things begin to go very, very bad. Starting with poor Jack.
6: Damn. Yeah, he so gets it I remember it bad. seeing
2: this in the theater, and I was shocked. Shocked for a number of reasons number one no fucking idea Amelia was going to be in this movie they did a very good job of keeping this tight lipped like I didn't know he was in it I didn't know Kristen Scott Thomas was going to show up in this as well like none of that like I knew it was Tom Cruise I knew John Boyd was going to be in it I knew um, you know Jean Reno, Ving Rhames. you know the core cast but seeing Emilio Estevez show up in the first five fucking minutes I was like what is going on here like am I in the right movie is this d4 like what what, what's going on here no but um so yeah he's 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 jack like I said a couple times already and he gets it pretty bad um I was shocked when he died. I was like, damn. And I kind of had a feeling because I was like, well, if I haven't seen any promotion or seen any scenes or shots of this guy in the in the previews and commercials, there's probably a good reason for that. Because it's probably because he's dead. And sure enough, he gets got. But he gets got in, like, the most un pg 13 kind of way. Like, he gets it so fucking gnarly. And they don't... The thing that gets me the most about his death is Dupont doesn't cut away; like he holds on it for like a couple, like a second. Like it's still a second too long for a PG-13 rating. Like you see, like his face go into the spike, you know, or the spike rather go into his fucking head, you know. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. And now I always wanted to see elevators, the, the 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 capability of freeze frame. You know these ain't the days of VHS anymore, son. So you hit pause at the right moment. You're gonna see how what I'm talking about, what we're talking about. Like you see the, and what elevator shaft has spikes that that come off from from the ceiling anyway? But this one does in Prague. And yeah, dude, he gets it in the fucking head. It's
5: it's
6: crazy. Yeah. I was surprised too. It shocked me, and uh, it was pretty brutal. I was like, "Ooh!" <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I watched re-watching it. re-watching it, just
2: you know, when I watched it the other day for this episode, I was like, "God damn, Emilio!" Emilio, Emilio, Emilio! and then yeah, they all start getting picked off one by one. Uh, Hannah, she she's the awkward one in the in the seventies porn glasses. She gets in a car and explodes because she's going to leave the party. Yeah,
6: and you think Claire's in there, too.
2: Yeah, Claire, yeah, exactly. Claire's in there as well, because she's going to meet Claire. Kristen Scott Thomas, who we didn't even talk about because she's out of the movie before you even realize it. She gets stabbed along with Alexander while she's tracking him out in the open.
6: It's kind of dumb of her to get trapped like that. Like, it's a gate. Like, don't walk up to it, and the guy can't stab you. Her death
2: is so weird. It... it, (laughs) It's so weird. And the weirdest thing about it all is that, spoiler alert, it's legit. You know, it's not like stage, like the other couple deaths that we're going to talk about later yeah. on. Um, yeah, like I said, my initial react. Oh, yeah. And then, and then Jim, Jim Phelps, we see. Uh, <laughs> he seemingly gets shot by a silencer and then he falls into the water.
6: It's so obvious, it's just his arm, like, just the way the gun in the hand looks, like, if you really look know, at it for I a fucking, second.
2: I fucking love later on when this show, it really happened, it's, I always fucking laugh hysterically. <laughs> John Boyd plays it off hilariously.
6: That would have um, been funny as shit if somebody was, like, just watching him the whole time, like, <laughs> <it's> <laughs> even... <laughs> what the
2: hell is he doing? Oh, man. I was just yeah, saying, Ethan. My initial reaction to all of this, my first watch, like... This all, my my initial reaction genuinely was, I think I just watched a horror movie unfold. Like, it was like a slasher. People were getting picked off one by one. It was crazy. Um, Phillips, he's the only character that comes from the TV show. None of the others, even Ethan Hunt himself, is made up for the movie. He's special. Not He's not from the show. There were plans for the members of the show to be these people from the beginning and getting picked off one by one. But, no, that didn't happen. Like, the actors didn't want to do it. I know Martin Landau, for one, was very vocal on numerous occasions about all of that. <laughs> See him, bullshit, I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna kill <laughs> me? You're gonna do what with Jim Phelps? The oh, fuck you are. Um, yeah, so back to Prague. The formidable task of lighting Prague at night presented cinematographer Stephen H. Burham and his crew with a complex array of logistics. Two miles of riverfront on either side of Prague's historic Charles Bridge had to be predominantly backlit in order to best evoke an atmosphere of old Europe. The preparation alone consumed about two weeks before the 12-day shoot along the banks of the Vitlava the 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 I said it right the first time. Vitlava River even began. 11 generators were used to power hundreds of lights and so impressive was the end result. Amateur and professional Czech photographers appeared in droves eager to capture their city's ne- nightscape as it had never been seen before. Oh, electricity. I know, right? <laughs> Um, and then all this happens, and we see Hunt make this call to Kittredge in the payphone. Back seven.
0: Central Europe unsecured. Designator. Bravo, Echo, one, one. Switching. Go secure. OK,
1: go ahead.
0: This is Ethan Hunt. They're dead. What? who's They're... dead? My team. My team is dead! Jesus. Galitzen's gone. They knew we were coming, man. They knew we were coming, and the disk is gone.
1: Yeah. Are you intact? The disk is gone. Did you, do you read me? The list is in the open! Listen, I read you. Let's just bring you in safely, then we'll worry about that, OK? On. I don't
5: think
0: so. I don't, I don't, well, don't think,
1: so. think. Be sure. Are you clean? Okay, location green, one hour. I'll be there myself. Is in a proc? One hour.
2: Dude, Tom Cruise's energy is at like at a fucking 200 here. He's filming oh, this yeah. like, the list is gone, man.
6: Are you here today? The list <laughs> is in the open. They're dead. They're all dead, man. Yeah, you think he banged line a coke right before he did oh, this scene? It's, it's great, though. It really is. Like
2: when I first saw this on, admit I was twelve. Like I said before, I was I was too young to appreciate Tom Cruise's performance in this movie because this scene alone is like holy shit. This is so good. Um. So uh let's see where we at here yeah hunt he gets debriefed by imf director eugene kittrich (laughs) he goes to
6: he goes to the restaurant that's definitely not a set that's gonna get blown up at one point
5: no
2: not at all It's, it's it's no all mind the aquariums on the floor
6: the ceiling the roof the the walls the panels it's all aquarium baby even 10-year-old um, me was like, oh, that's cool. It's going to blow up now. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just so obvious. Like it's, like sticks out like a sore thumb. I'm surprised the waiter wasn't wearing a fucking bathing suit. <laughs>
2: so, yeah, they go to this restaurant. Kitrich just meets him there. Um. And, I don't know, Hunt's suspect about seeing, you know, since he's already in Prague after all this.
6: Yeah, I should have known right away, like, the fact that Kittredge was in Prague should have been the dead giveaway.
2: What the fuck? He's like, they're all dead, man. The list is in the open. What do I do? Hang tight, Ethan. I'll meet you at the cafe in 20. You'll do what? 20 what? (laughs) like, I'm already here. So, yeah, it's just suspect, and it's kind of weird that he'd have him, you know, meet him like that. Just, whatever, I'm going with the plot, I'm going with the story, letting it roll, just letting it ride. So, this is when we see Hunt realize that there was another IMF team present during the mission, and he learns that the operation was a setup to lure out a mole within the IMF with the help of Alexander Gottlinson, who had been posing as the rogue agent. The mole was believed to be working with an an arms dealer named Max as part of Job 314. Got all that? Um... I love how Ethan points out everyone in the restaurant at this part. Like, he's just like, you know, and he's like, the the the, the, the couple behind me, two o'clock, you know, at the, at the bridge. One was a waiter, one was something else. And he's just he's just, he calling off like times, as in where they're sitting in the cafe. And then he's just, or the yeah. restaurant. And he just, just going shows he's paying
6: attention. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: And, you know, something I never noticed before. It's, it's not even a small detail. I'm just, just not paying close enough attention, I guess. Like, we see these people pretty predominantly in this movie. Because like, we see them throughout. Like, hanging out with Kittredge. Like, you know, on the train at the end. Numerous yeah. shots. When we see him in the office. We see them there, too. In fact, the team, one guy yeah. posing as the waiter tells him that he has a phone call. And it's Ethan. Yeah. Stuff like that. Um uh.
6: I just want to talk about Kittredge real quick. Oh um, yeah, go for it. The guy uh, plays him, Henry uh, Cerny. Henry Zerny Or Cerny, I'm sorry if I said it wrong. Uh, he is great. Like, he is just such, like, he comes across like such a pompous, arrogant dick in this movie. Yeah. And he, he does that character well in other films, um, Ready too. Ready or Not. Yeah, like, yeah, Ready or Not is more recent. He was in one of the uh, Jack Ryan movies, too, I remember. Oh, I
2: missed out on those
6: yeah I'm trying to think of which one it was ah clear and present danger that's what it is yeah he's gonna be he's... in
2: scream six
6: um but he just plays that pompous uh like overconfident guy so well smug yeah and like you you just want Ethan Hunt to punch Kittredge in the face this yeah. whole movie so yeah. he does a good job in the role
2: yeah I agree also, can we discuss the use of dutch angles here? To, like that gives off the intensity of this scene. Yeah, like
6: it. that something's not right, like the intensity and there's something's off. Yeah,
2: it it builds up and it's the more and more these two keep going back and forth and each scene we see them, it just cuts back to back and forth and there's just different angles. I just I I love it. Um finally, we need to talk about Ethan's escape. It's one of the highlights, like we can understand that you're you're, you're very upset. Kittrich, you've never seen <laughs> you very upset. And then the gum yeah. follows by the explosion. And then Cruz runs out of all that watery mess and shit. Like, it's just awesome. Like, And it was Cruz's idea to do the scene with the restaurant. He wanted all the glass and the giant fish and lobster tanks. Originally, it was going to be <laughs> a stuntman. But De Palma didn't like the way it looked. And Probably had asked. that face-off quality.
6: Yeah, right, right. <laughs> you're like, what the hell and is he this?
2: And to do it. He's like, hey, Cruz, hey, Tom, I hear you're a hell of a runner. I hear you like to run. I got a scene for you. And sets it up, and yeah, this is, that's all Cruz, man. And even though it involved 16 tons of water and a risk of drowning, Cruz was like, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty synonymous with doing my own stunts now. He agreed to do it, and the rest is history. So yeah, it looks awesome. At, at two different locations, the tank explosion and Hunt's jump through the uh, the restaurant window were shot at Paramount Studios. The portion of the scene in which he is running into the street with the water running behind him was actually in Prague's Old Town Square. Um, So Ethan heads back to the safe house where it's revealed that Jim's wife Claire also survived. But before that, he's going through the joint and remembers that Kichwood said that Jobs th- he said what he said about Job three sixteen or three three sixteen, Job three fourteen, after looking at the Bible, <laughs> Hunt realizes Job Job three fourteen actually refers to Bible verse Job three 44 four four or uh, three colon one four, um, with Job being the mole's code name. He then reaches out to Max to set up something so he can warn them that he's figured out and what he's figured out rather the list. Uh, that, 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 that the list is fake, and yeah. Then he has a nightmare of Jim coming in when it's revealed to be Claire. Ethan's immediately a suspect of her, saying that he saw her from the bridge and how they're dead.
6: Wake up, Claire! Jim's dead. They're all dead. <laughs> it should have been a it should have been a giveaway. Like I I kind of question. I know Ethan's suspicious of her and kind of watching her. But, come on, you know she's in on it as soon as she comes back. Like, how is she not Absolutely. in on it? Absolutely. How? <laughs> like, that's what I questioned to Ethan Hunt. And then also, uh, like, his cover's blown. He just blew up uh, the restaurant with Kittredge. Why would he go back to the hotel room they were staying in before? Like, and I don't mean just go back and grab stuff. I mean, he like, he goes back and, like, he's staying there. I'm like... Yeah, maybe Kittredge doesn't know what hotel they were staying in, but, like, why would you even take that chance? Like, why wouldn't you just go somewhere else? That doesn't make any sense to me, like, why a spy would do that. Like, go somewhere else.
2: Nah, no, I agree. She definitely is an obvious... Something's not right. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, he aggressively searches her. And this is where you can definitely tell it's a department film, just the way that these two are, like, playing off sexually together. Originally, there was a love triangle sequence early on in the film between Ethan, Jim, and Claire. However, it was removed at the suggestion of De Palma's friend, George Lucas. Old George said it took the audiences out of the film because it was out of the genre. De Palma agreed and nixed it. Um, and then Ethan makes a comment to Claire how 300 million or thousand, I can't quite remember... Just shows up in his mother's bank account, and he gets a response from Max, and there's a median range between the two. And, yeah, he's at the corner, and he lights a match, and this car from... No, this guy walks up, and he asks for a match, and he lights it, and this car comes rolling in from across the alley, or a square, and it picks him up, and then he gets in. They have not put on this, like, gnarly fucking ski mask that's all stitched up where the eyes and the, 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 the mouth goes. So it's just a, a stitched up sack, essentially, that they have him wear so that he doesn't, so he can't tell where they're going. Uh, turns out Max is a woman, played by Vanessa Redgrave, although it was originally written as a man uh, in the script. Ethan asked her for 150 grand, and when he's denied, he tells her that the necklace she has is a fake, and it's equipped with a tracking device.
4: Who are you, and what are you doing here?
0: I need 150 thousand dollars. What? <laughs> oh, really?
4: <laughs> you <laughs> and you thought. If you simply showed up, I might give it to you.
0: (laughs) Why not? You gave Job 125.
4: Mm, The penny drops. You are not Job. Job is not given to quoting scripture in his communications. Then there was its tone, aggressive but playful. Job is not playful. So you are something of a paradox.
0: Well, that depends. On what? Whether you like a paradox. I want $150,000 today. Ah, that's quite after the question. The disc Job sold you, it's worthless. It's bait. Part of an internal mole hunt.
4: And how might you know that? You another company man. Like Job? Hmm. We're asking about you.
0: I'm knock. Was. Now, disavowed.
4: Why, may I ask?
0: That is the question I want to ask Job.
4: I don't know Job any more than Job knows me.
0: Even so, I'm sure you could arrange an introduction.
4: Why should I?
0: Because I can deliver the actual knocklist. list. And when you have is not only worthless, it's certain to be equipped with a homing device to pinpoint your exact location.
5: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Boot it up. In anywhere from 30 seconds to 10 minutes, you'll have Virginia farm boys hopping around you like jackrabbits.
4: It's easier to say the disc is worthless when you say I can't look at the information and see if it's worthless. Not a tenable position, sir.
0: Okay. Use it. But I'd suggest
2: you pack first. And they start to boot it up, and after time, Max realizes that Hunt was telling the truth. See, I love the during this sequence as it's happening. Like she's like making these quips to him. But he's just sitting there in the chair, like, being the biggest smartass in the world to them. Like, he's just fucking with them the entire time. And they're like, no, this is not bugged. No one's going to trace us. That's bullshit. And he's like, I don't know. Why don't you put it in and see? Find out for yourself. Eh? Eh? <laughs> oh, shit. So, um, yeah, they realize he was telling the truth. And they escape a raid that set up by Kittrich's team. They just missed him. Hunt convinces Max that he can obtain the real knock list in exchange for $10 And Job's true identity. And again, with the Dutch angles for this conversation, just wanted to point that out too. I love it when Kittrich says that they're guys that are trained to be ghosts. He says, we taught them to do it. I love that line.
6: Yeah. Because he knows, like, Kitcher's is like, there's no point in searching for him. He's too good. Like, we'll just let him pop up when he does.
2: Yep. Uh, so Hunt and Claire our recruit, they... Yeah, this is when we see Bing Rames and Jean Renault enter the fray. Franz Krieger and Luther Stickle. Simple
0: game. Four players. XFIL opens the pocket. Cyber Ops lifts the wall. Bank. I'm F mainframe. Where exactly is it?
7: In Langley. In Langley? The one in Virginia, Langley. Inside CIA headquarters at Langley. Is he serious? Always. <laughs> if we're going to Virginia, why don't we drop by Fort Knox? I can fly a helicopter. Right in through the lobby and set it down inside the vault. And it would be a hell of a lot easier than breaking into the goddamn CIA. What are we downloading? Information. What kind? Profitable.
4: Payment on
5: delivery?
7: Hmm. I don't know. I just don't know.
0: This doesn't sound like the Luther stickle i heard of. What did they used to call you, the Net
7: Ranger? Phineas Freak? The only man alive who actually hacked NATO Ghost comm. There was never any physical evidence that I had anything to do with that. With that. That exceptional piece of work.
0: You don't know what you're missing. This is the Mount Everest of hacks.
7: You're all kidding yourselves. Even with top-of-the-line crypto free access do threes
5: Trigger can get it, right?
7: It may take a little time What the hell do you mean a little time? It's not what Claire tells me about you Thinking machine laptops I'm talking about the 686 prototypes with the artificial intelligence risk chip 24 hours <laughs> and, and, uh I get to keep the equipment when we're done Luther, I guess you're all out of excuses. <laughs> hmm. Look, uh, I just can't hack my way inside. See, there's no modem access to the mainframe. It's in what we call the standalone. Which means I'd have to be physically at the terminal. Relax, Luther.
0: It's much worse than you think. The terminal is in a black vault lockdown. The only person allowed in the room has to pass through a series of security checks. William Donlow. The first is a voice print identification and a six-digit access code. This only gets him into the outer room. Next, he has to pass a retinal scan. And finally, the intrusion countermeasures are only deactivated by a double electronic key card, which we won't have. Now, inside the black vault, there are three systems operating whenever the technician is out of the room. The first is sound sensitive. Anything above a whisper sets it off. The second system detects any increase in temperature Even the body heat of an unauthorized person in the room will trigger it if the temperature rises just a single degree. Now, that temperature is controlled by the air conditioning coming in through an overhead duct 30 feet above the floor. That vent is guarded by a laser net. The third system is on the floor and is pressure sensitive. The slightest increase in weight will trigger the alarm. And any one of these systems, if set off, will activate an automatic lockdown. Now, believe me when I tell you,
2: gentlemen, all three systems are state-of-the-art. And let me tell you something. Ving is like a saint to this franchise. It's... It, even when we see him for, like, one or two scenes, because I know, like, in the... Th- What's it? The third film or the fourth film, he's, like... I think the fourth one is when he comes back. Okay, there's the third... Okay. One of the movies, he's only in, like, one scene. I think it was, like, a post-credit scene or the last scene of the movie or something like that. I can't remember. That's another reason why I want to do these films leading up to uh, Dead Reckonings, because I haven't seen a few of them in a while. But anyway, um... They, uh, they cast Ving Rhames because he felt that he was the opposite of what a hacker would normally look like. And yeah. they cast Sean Renault because everyone in Hollywood in 1996 cast Sean Renault in the project. <laughs> yeah,
6: how could you like have... To do. Yeah, like how could you have this movie, The International Spies, and not have him in there, you know? Exactly. Um...
2: So yeah, he's recruiting them, letting them know, hey, you're disavowed, I'm disavowed, we're all disavowed, let's go get into some trouble. And we get the Langley heist. So, this is a place, Langley, Virginia, the going to get the knock list. Place that's guarded by laser beams, floor weight, and sound sensitivity, as well as strict temperatures that will activate an automatic lockdown if triggered. So they're gonna go in as firefighters while Luther hacks the system. Claire's gonna bug this CIA analyst, um, William Donlow. It's gonna make him sick by contaminating his coffee. Friends nearly kills a suspicious guard, but Ethan has to stop him from being a hothead. Ethan, and this is when he gets a look at his knife. Ethan and Franz climbing the event system through sector 21. And that's when we get the film's most popular sequence, The Bungie Heist, including the bit with the mouse. Like, this this whole shot, like, the main lobby, um, that's representing CIA headquarters at Langley, was actually shot in London, as was this entire film, at, um, County Hall the helipad next to the tower bridge where Kittredge lands does not exist and was actually built specifically for the film and then removed afterwards. This site is a public park. It looks like a park with just a random fucking blue helipad just sitting there. Um. Oh yeah, so during this heist scene, the bungee sequence, Cruz noticed that he kept on tilting forward and hitting his head.
6: So that, so he <laughs> That's put, what I always wondered. Like, how did they keep him, uh, like, balanced and flat like that?
2: He put British pound coins into his shoes, and that held him, that that was the the counterweight that he needed. It allowed him to stay balanced. So. Hmm. Um. What else? Like. So yeah, talk about the scene itself. So yeah, craziness. They gotta go go down to this 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 computer, but like I said, it's like sense it's sensitive to everything, (laughs) heat, sound, everything. And so,
6: yeah, everything you can imagine.
2: So Tom Cruise gets lowered down, and he accesses system, just bungee in there. And there's this guy who keeps on coming back and forth, but he's sick. Don Low and he's like one party actually comes back into the room and Ethan has to like flip himself back up.
6: How could you not notice that? Like, come on. Like you would literally walk right in and be like, Holy shit, Tom Cruise is up there. That's I'm watching this too, thinking to myself,
2: how is he not being noticed? (laughs) Like, I would definitely like my just how that's how vision works. Like, you know, your peripheral's not that bad. Like you can definitely s- tell if someone's just hanging like 10, 20 feet above you.
6: It's a small ass, like, vault room. It's not like they're in a cathedral where like he's like hundred feet in the air. Like he's like right above of like I, I it would have just been hilarious. Like Damo walks in and then he just looks up and he's like hey <laughs> cruise is like hey how'd you see me? it's just like come on dude i know you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit here but it's a little bit much like i would almost rather him just had like some kind of stupid ass plastic um shield he could put in front of himself that looked like the roof or something like that like i would buy that more than (laughs) him just hanging there and download just doesn't see him it's just like it was no. just funny. Donald starts working. Tom Cruise fucking rips a fart. It's just like, where would that come from? <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just kind of funny to me. Oh, uh, you know, for all the security in Langley, uh, you know, I don't know they trick a fire or uh, they trick a fire alarm, but like they just kind of let the firemen do whatever they want. They're just like the firemen just walk in. That's what in. I was thinking, too. <laughs> And they're just like, oh, okay, yep, we can just split up they, now. They, they and then really they just put a run lot of
2: trust into these firemen. Like they <laughs> just gave them free
6: reign to do whatever they want. I feel like they would have to be cleared and then escorted everywhere. <laughs> I'm like, right. it's a little too easy to get in here, like, for how secure this place is. Uh, I've, like, questioned that, you know? So, okay.
2: This fucking mouse shows up in the vent while Jean Renaud is, like, struggling to hold. Tom Cruise's weight. And that's another thing, too. Like, how exactly does this bungee concoction work? Like, how is John able to hold his weight, and then, like, how is he able to flip up and and hang... You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand how... He has, like, a pulley this, system,
6: so that should help a little bit. Like, if he has, like, a pulley cantilever system, still, that'll... Like he's that'll take some of the to weight. to
2: hold his weight. Like, then this fucking mouse shows up. And... I love the split diopter shot with Jean Renault and the approaching mouse. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. And I never noticed this before, but you see this mouse like I said, like I said, the split diopter with Jean Renault and the mouse. And then we cut back to Ethan. And then when we cut back to Jean Renault, the fucking mouse is laying dead behind him. I never yeah. noticed that until this time. Um so yeah, that was funny. And he, and he loses grip, or he slips a little bit, and Ethan, you know, he's like hovering over the ground, like he's like inches off the ground, no. and he's got to like he cannot touch nothing.
6: Floor's lava, he
2: can't but touch it. He's he's funny enough. He's able to extend his arm and bring it in to catch a falling drip of sweat coming off of his
6: glasses. Me- I was like, ah that makes no fucking sense like yeah he's so close like firstly it looks so impressive because the physical strength you would have to have to be able to hold your arms out like to flatten yourself like that to stay off the ground yeah and it looks great i mean he is just like jacked like in in this movie like you know obviously a lot younger uh because this is back in 96 and uh yeah he just it just looks so cool it's just such a well thought out scene just theatrically, like, does it make a lot of sense in practicality? Not really, because, like, if they have all this technology, just have a fucking motion sensor, boom, done. Fucking Tom Cruise drops in, <laughs> meh, 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 you're done. Like, I mean, they had motion sensors, they had all this other shit. They're like, we'll put in every countermeasure known to man except for a motion sensor, uh, which you can have in your house with your ADT system for $9.95 a month, you know. So it's just it's just kind of funny to me that they have that, but it's like, you know, do you want a movie or not? Like, you know, do you want uh, this to be entertaining? So that you could tell they uh, were just thinking of shit like, OK, you can't touch the floor and uh, you can't be too loud uh, and it can't get too hot. <laughs> and it's just like I, I just love the fact that they add all this stuff and it's just such an iconic scene with him dropping in. I mean, countless movies pay homage to it. Countless movies parodied it. At the time, I mean, it was just everywhere. Like everybody, I guarantee you, if somebody hasn't seen this movie, uh, you show them the part with Tom Cruise hanging. They know exactly what it is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The Mission Impossible, he's breaking in. Everybody knows that part. <laughs> um.
2: So yeah, they 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 successfully pull off the heist to get the knock list. and there's this bit with the knife. Goddamn knife. And Tom Cruise gets up to the vent, back up with uh, Franz, and he lets his knife slip and fall. And it <laughs> miraculously just lands on the desk right as the vault, or the, we can call it a vault, the door opens and Download comes back in. But that, once the door opens up, that, that turns off all of the, the sensors and shit. So. <laughs> Don Jesus Lowe's like, oh, God. damn. And, here, and there, Don-, Don Lowe just sits down and he looks over and sees the knife and, he, and his reaction to it isn't like, Code Red, we got a lockdown. Like, someone was clearly
6: in here. No, it's, oh? <laughs> did I put my knife there? I have, uh, did I have a knife earlier? It, it's just kind of funny, too, because, like, in his in Don Lowe's mind, you got to be thinking, like, are they leaving a message for me? Are they going to come back and kill no, me? No, dude, there should be a
2: full-flooded... <laughs>
6: lockdown going
2: on right now like Ethan and crew should be having to be like on their second or third mission by finding an alternate escape out of the building at that point yeah because that was the one
6: thing Don Lowe so- should
2: have that should be on lockdown
6: yeah like so that's one thing I completely forgot about this movie they just get out so fast like yeah
2: because you cut to the four of them riding shotgun in the fucking hell a fire uh, a fire truck Going down the freeway, going down the road, the, the the country road, and like they're all you see. For some reason, the camera pans down to Claire, and she's like smirking. It's like, well, they what pulled are it we off. Doing? You're a villain, clearly. I don't know. I'm not changing my opinion on you. You're still the villain. I thought you were last act. I
6: don't know. It's just kind of funny because I was waiting to see him like in a McDonald's drive-through getting milkshakes or something <laughs> to celebrate Victory because they just got shakes. out so fast. Like it was just. Yeah, I forgot how quick it was because I I didn't remember exactly. It's been a while since I had seen the movie, but I, was, I thought they had a little bit of a tougher time getting out. Uh, but now it's just now nah, go ahead. Don Lowe's just going to look at the knife for a while, maybe uh, sharpen it or something first <laughs> and then report it. And uh, one quick thing, it's funny while this is all going on, Kittredge is in his uh, war room uh, meeting, talking with his guys like, what does he want? What's he doing? <laughs> as uh, obviously Ethan Hunt stealing the knock list from uh, right under their nose, so that's kind of funny. Yeah.
2: What else here? Um, oh yeah, one of the code names on the knock list is uh, Maverick. Top gun. Huh. <laughs> they made it funny. So the team escape in their shiny little fire truck before heading over to London together. As a team, and there, Ethan growing. He's growing more and more suspicious of Franz, especially with him asking detailed questions more and more often. Uh, Krieger has the desk. The desk. Krieger has the disk. <laughs> sorry, typo. Krieger has the disk <laughs> containing the list, or so he thinks. Question mark. With Ethan pulling a Houdini on him and performing some trickery with another disc before asking him if he really thinks that he would trust him with the knock list.
7: Ethan. Oh, excuse me, Mr. Hand. You're not going to any meeting without me.
0: My contact is extremely shy. <laughs> I
7: don't think you're in any position to give orders. Do you? Not while I'm holding this.
5: Gregor.
7: Thank you. do you mean this? That's not the least.
0: What's the matter? You. You've never seen this trick. Where to go? Let's go.
5: What? You no. Oh,
0: <laughs> but not too far. I know what you're thinking, Craig. You're thinking back in the computer room. I was up here. He was... He was down there. Yes, and he was. He was carrying two discs. It's so hard to keep track of these things. Where is it? actually think i'd let you have the knock list
7: try any slight hand with my money i'll cut your throat
2: well turns out he did because he that look that he gives luther when luther was like so you had the real list and and he's like shakes his head and he's like he had the list and he just like yes i just put all that trust into him like his eyes bulge a little bit like yeah but that back to the trick though the actual trick with him pulling you know a little visionary trickery or whatever little magic in the making if you will no that was all <laughs> tom cruise that was legit practical effects that was there wasn't uh. even practical effects it was tom cruise being a fucking magician in front of the camera
6: just waiting for him to pull out a top hat and the disc goes in and the bunny comes out (laughs) (laughs) alakazam
2: that's funny Um, so yeah pissed off we see friends slam down the bible he was reading and he leaves the room Ethan picks it up and sees that it was stamped at the Drake Hotel in Chicago full circle moment here Remember I said, remember that? Drake Hotel? This is why. He then takes the disc that Franz threw away and hands it to Luther for safekeeping. And like I said, it turns out that he had the real disc all along. Um, But he got out hunted in the wet instead. Uh, That's what I had in my stupid-ass notes. Can (laughs) we also talk about how sexual Ethan and Clara are when when she tells him that she's going to get some sleep and they just... They share this kiss on each other's cheeks, followed by their heads just staying together. It's really bizarre. It's like It's Ethan, weird. Ethan's just it's, like, I'll i fo- I'll follow you in the bed later, honey.
6: It, it's weird because like her husband, you know, it well obviously he's not really dead, but to Ethan Hunt, her husband just died. He was like your mentor, and now you're like macking on his uh widow. Like, it's just weird to me. Like, I don't know why this is in here. It doesn't have to be in here. You don't get any nonsense like this in the later movies. Right. Really? So, it's just weird. I chalk it up to, like, just weird 90s machismo where it's like, well, he's Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt. He's got to get a girl. So, let's just have him with this chick. You know, like, it's not needed whatsoever. (laughs) Like, the only way it would make sense is if she was trying to seduce him... Because obviously she's trying to, uh, you know, string them along and have them do have Ethan Hunt do their bidding. But like, that's not really what's happening. It's like consensual. I don't know. It's just weird. Yeah. um, Where are we
2: here? Yeah. So Kittress has um, Hunt, his mother and uncle. He falsely arrests them in order to lure Hunt out. And then after learning about the arrest, we see Hunt contact Hitchridge from a payphone, intentionally allowing the IMF to trace the call back to London, but not specifically enough, because he he hangs up before they can pinpoint his exact locale. Um, And this is when Phelps resurfaces. Unexpectedly. Shocker. Ooh, a twist. And eventually recounts surviving the shooting,
3: I managed to drag myself back to the safe house. must have just missed you. Anyway, I checked our aliases. And that's when you picked us up in the States? But you left before I could get there and I could check just so many places. Smaller countries don't computerize customs records. So I watched Europe. Once you turned up in England, it was easy. Well, you know I like the
1: rentals of Liverpool Street.
3: Hey, yeah, I showed them to you.
0: I remember. <coughs> What do you think you're kidding here? Doctor's gotta look at that, you can't sit up straight. I can't sit up
3: straight. I just can't sit up straight very well. Sit down, sit down. It's not important. Ethan. I saw who shot me. I saw them all. It was Kittredge.
0: Kittredge? Kittredge, Ethan. introduced them all. Oh my God, of course, you're right. He was at the embassy that night. First, he took out Jack at the elevator. Uh-huh.
3: Secrets you keep from everyone but yourself. Operations you answer to no one but yourself. And then one day, you wake up. The president of the United States is running the country without your permission. The son of a bitch, how dare he? And you realize it's over. You're an obsolete piece of hardware, not worth upgrading. You've got a lousy marriage and 62 grand a year. Kittredge we'll go after the
2: no good son of a bitch big time and this is the scene this is the scene that we were talking about before that it's just like he like has yeah. this, he has this like ridiculous laugh or smile on his face and he's like
6: pouring the fake blood on his hands and then he starts like grasping his shirt and he's like <laughs> i know this whole thing's funny because like it's so obvious it's just his own arm Uh, I love that part. Like, I would have just died earlier if he, like, when he shot himself, he's like, Ethan. And then Tom Cruise or Ethan is just like, why? Why are you holding your gun like that in your camera? What (laughs) What are you doing? Like, it's just so obvious and funny looking with the way he holds his gun. And then yeah, just the way he, like, is smiling just makes me fucking laugh nowadays.
2: (laughs) Oh, man. Um... So yeah, he recounts all that stuff and then he tells Hunt that Kittredge is the mole but Hunt knows it's total bullshit after finding that bible he reveals what really happened to his BFF Jack and the rest of the team with Jim taking them all out and pinpointing it on Kittredge Ethan's just going with the flow and uh pretends to believe Jim he then arranges to exchange the list with Max on the uh the TGV bullet train to Paris, which is ridiculously fast, by the way. Secretly, inviting Kittredge along for the ride as well, and then when he arrives in London the next day, um, like I mentioned before, that that was just put up in this park, that helipad. So, yeah, um, Ethan definitely fucks Claire that night, too. Just
6: say. (laughs) Uh-huh. And yeah. on
2: the train, we see Ethan directing Max to the list with uh, with her sending him to the baggage car where the money and job are located. Meanwhile, we see Stickle right there jamming the device with his laptop to prevent Max from, you know, uploading that list to her own servers. So And he's, like, pointing his phone towards them. And then there's this moment where he goes to leave and he is leaving, but then this, like conductor guy on the, uh, the the train sees the phone and thinks that he just left it there and he's like here you go so you left your phone there and meanwhile Max is back to uploading the files to the server and then everyone around them in that scene is like I can't get a phone call I can't get a signal how about you no I can't do anything and he's just like fuck and he just leaves all pissed off and shit it's a funny moment I didn't really notice before that's all um one of Max's guys sees uh all this shit happening and tries breaking into it while Luther holds the door shut. Um No, that's right. Luther goes to the bathroom and the guy follows him and tries to break into the door. Um Claire goes to the baggage cart and confronts Jim. Or so she thinks. It's she reveals her true motivations when boom! Jim is actually Ethan, wearing a mask of Jim's face. He says he's very sorry he had to hear that uh, when the real Jim reveals himself with a gun. However, Hunt is secretly recording, or no, he's sending a live message, a live video uh, rather, from his glasses and he's live on TikTok. TikTok. Yeah, he goes live with uh, <laughs> with Jim right there in front of him. Kittredge sees it and Kittredge is like, hello, Mr. Phelps. Exposes Jim as the mole.
5: Ethan's right behind me. Listen, Jim. He said such a good idea to kill him. Kittredge is here. We take the money, Ethan takes the blame. No one else has seen you alive. No one will believe it.
0: Of course, I'm very sorry to hear you say that, Claire.
5: Ethan.
0: Yes?
3: Ethan Hunt, darling. You remember him, don't
5: you? You knew about Jim?
3: Of course. Just exactly when he knew is something of a question. Mind telling me, Ethan? Before or after I showed up in London?
0: Before London, but after you took the Bible from the Drake Hotel in Chicago. They stabbed it, didn't they? Those damn Gideons. Ethan, if you knew about Jim,
3: why? Why the masquerade? Why take the risk? Well, Claire, you've asked the question, and you are the answer. I knew about Jim. But he didn't know about you. In all fairness, Ethan, Claire was never convinced her charms would work on you. But I was supremely confident, having tasted the goods. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, Ethan.
0: Let's just get the money and get out of here.
3: Yes, let's get the money.
4: Ethan, the money.
3: Give her the money.
5: You earned it.
4: Old damn million.
0: Your Claire was wrong about one thing, Jim. Oh, what's that?
2: helps so James is pissed off he shoots Claire and knocks Ethan down but before uh, cheating out... He, uh, I'm sorry he run, heads outside gets to the roof and friends has come friends comes in at the right time and it's chopper helicopter and uh then we get this rooftop scene which is bonkers all the wind and excellent green screen sequence gets going on here it, it's I love it so jim's attempting to climb onto the helicopter using a tether but hunt hooks it onto the train which prevents Franz from flying away pretty much he's going where the train's going and this fucking i love it the rear conductor here is looking at everything telling the front conductor to accelerate accelerate it's hilarious he sees all this shit going on right here and then to make the the, the climax on top of the train look convincing Cruz wanted a wind machine so powerful that it could potentially knock him off the train. He found the one machine in Europe that goes up to 140 miles per hour. And that's what he uses. The climactic turns I'm sorry. The climactic train sequence itself took six weeks to film at the 007 stage at Pinewood Studios. Uh, let's see here. The... I mean, we can talk about this tunnel sequence itself, man. It's just, I got to say, first and foremost, it gets my anxiety going. Even though I I know what's happening, it gets my anxiety going. Like, holy shit. Like, Ethan eventually jumps onto the chopper and releases the chewing gum bomb. But before that, man, this whole sequence is just, it's crazy to watch. How about you?
6: yeah i mean i i love the sequence uh, it definitely stands out to me just everything that um all the craziness that's going on the train the twists and turns now kittredge knows that jim's back uh yeah it's just it's just great and then the helicopter flying in the tunnels i'm just like that's completely insane it wouldn't actually happen but it's entertaining for the movie Uh, You know, so why not? I think having it on a train is a great idea. I I just really enjoy all the players are in place uh, and all the craziness is happening. I think it's a very fitting uh, final set piece for the, uh, you know, spy movie that this is because it's not just a big dumb action where Tom Cruise is running through just gunning down uh, nameless people. You know, it's actually more of a spy movie in this. So it, (laughs) it, it makes a whole lot of sense. Um so yeah I I really enjoy it I watching it back again now I I definitely uh gain more appreciation for this whole final scene um on the train than I did previously
2: So like I said red light green light
6: <laughs> it would have been better if he's like, us oh, the lasagna. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Or, uh, Emilio. Yeah. Like, just to yell something else. Uh swear
2: to God, Muddy Ducker. Yeah. And it makes the train, not the train, I'm sorry, the plane, the chopper, go kaboom. Sending Ethan flying on back to the train. It's like the highlight shot of the film's marketing. Like, yeah, it's e- pretty cool. Ethan being blasted towards the train. Uh, Kittcher comes, he's, he's been on the train the entire time with his guys um, and they take Max into custody and recovers the necklace from uh, Luther uh, then we get Ethan and Luther meeting at this cafe prior to heading home we hear the, uh, the Cranberries Dream playing in the background as they're uh, are happy because they're disavowed now and uh, on the flight home, an attendant approaches him and asks if he's ready to take the new mission in Aruba. And he gets the same cassette tape treatment as Jim Phelps did at the beginning to so you go of this for the can I interest you in and so and so persuasion. And he's like, I guess so. I guess that means <laughs> I have a mission that I have to accept.
4: Excuse me, Mr. Hunt. Would you like to watch a movie?
5: Oh. Uh. no,
0: thank
4: you. Would you consider the cinema of the Caribbean? Aruba, perhaps. <laughs>
6: puts it on and it's like, the wheels on the bus go round and round. <laughs> it's just like something completely wrong. He's like, um, man, this isn't it. Oh, man. Yeah, it's just, a, it's just a lot that happens on the train, just a lot of dense, uh, you know, spy type stuff, twists and turns, but yeah, it, it, it's a stellar ending again. Yeah, just, and this whole film, is just I forgot how short this was. I always thought it was longer for some reason, but rewatching it again, it was just a quick fun sit. Uh, and I definitely enjoyed it a lot more rewatching it this time.
2: All right. Well, yeah, he's asked to go into a mission in Aruba. We hear the mission impossible theme kick in and the end credits start to roll. And that is mission impossible from 1996. Brian De Palma. All right, let's get into box office receipts. The
3: point is, ladies and gentlemen,
7: that greed,
3: for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed
2: works. All right, so the film premiered on May 20th, 1996 at the Regency Bruin Theater in Hollywood, California, before being released to the masses on May 22nd, 1996 from Paramount Pictures, it opened up in 3,012 screens. Like I said, the first to be released over 3,000 screens here in the U.S. domestically. Opening weekend, 45.3 million dollars. Opened up in first place. Second weekend, dropped off 52.4 percent. Still in first place, 21.6 million. Total gross worldwide. Why don't you guess? Or do you know the answer? Uh, nah, no idea. 457.7 million dollars against an 80 budget, 80 million dollar budget.
5: <laughs> 80 dollars, <laughs> 80
6: budget. Here's the palma, takes it out of his wallet. Here's your 80 bucks. Go make the movie.
2: <laughs> Third highest gross film in 1996. Holy shit! All right, well, they made a pretty penny. Now, let's see what the critics have to say about it. Take a stroll to the critics' corner. The film has a Rotten Tomato score of 67% based on 63 reviews with a consensus that says full of special effects Brian De Palma's update of Mission Impossible has a lot of sweeping spectacle but the plot is sometimes convoluted. Got that right? It's got a meta score of 59 out of 100 based on 29 reviews with a cinema score of B+. Eves gave the film 3 out of 4 stars and wrote, this is a movie that exists in the instant and we must exist in the instant to enjoy it. Stephen Holden from New York Times addressed the film's convoluted plot, saying if that story doesn't make a shred of sense on any level, on any number of levels, so what? Neither did the TV series, in which basic... in which basic credibility didn't matter as long as its sci-fi popular mechanics kept up with the suspense. Mike Clark from the USA Today gave the film a 3 out of 4 star rating and said that it has... Stylish brisk, it was stylish and brisk, but lacking in human dimension despite an attractive cast. The glass is either half empty or half full here, though the, con- the concoction goes down with ease. Owen Gleiberman from the e- Entertainment Weekly <clears throat> He gave the film a B and said the, f- the problem isn't that the plot is too complicated, it's that each detail is given the exact same nagging emphasis. It's jammed with the action, yet as talky and dense as a physics seminar, the studious labyrinth of Mission Impossible grabs your attention without quite tickling your imagination. James Berardinelli from Real Views gave it a 2.5 out of 4 star rating, saying this movie isn't a disaster, but all things considered, there's little reason to make it a, hip- a high priority for theatrical viewing. I don't quite agree with uh, james there but to each their own finally time magazine i got a quote pulled from there it says what is not present in mission impossible which aside from the title soundtrack quotations from the theme song and self-destructing assignment tapes has little to do with the old tv show it is a plot that logically links all these events or characters with any um Uh, discernible motives beyond surviving the crisis of the moment anyway let's move on to i mean the the film itself has you know the ratings are pretty good actually i was surprised i was expecting more bad or negative rate uh uh uh, negative comments or full-fledged reviews um but it was pretty well rounded or pretty well received around robin here between all the uh the, the big reviews that I saw so anyway uh, that aside let's move on to pros and cons before I take on any job
0: I look at it the same way as it takes to make the thing
2: positive versus negative now you mix a little bit of this with a little bit of that and you get a reaction Time to hear our opinions. Alright, pros. Groundbreaking effects. Tom Cruise, of course. It's a movie with actual surprises. And it's it's full of fun set pieces. I mean, the movie is what it is. Um, it, there's a lot of good things going for it. You know, other than the, the four things I just mentioned here. I mean, overall, as a whole, this movie... Um, there's just a lot of fun things, yeah. Like, like, like the one reviewer said, it's a little talky, <laughs> um, but it's it's not it's never boring. Like, I never once get bored watching this. For as plot-driven um, as as or um, you know story-driven as as the the the, the, the film go, gets, it, I never once get bored with it. So. But yeah, the effects, Tom Cruise himself, the surprises that actual hold up um, upon first viewing, and the, the set pieces—those um, are my main pros for the film. How about you, Core?
6: Pros: uh, First, the cast. The cast is excellent. Love, uh, love Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt. I mean, arguably, if not his most iconic role. Uh, you know, just stretching but how many years has it been now? 25 years, 26 years, the franchise has yeah, been going it's 26 on. 26 now. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, obviously he's had a ton of other, uh, big characters and roles, but, uh, it's definitely up there. Ethan Hunt, uh, definitely holds up. Um, my next pro is I appreciate this film a lot more now. It's just like a pure spy movie. I really do like that. Uh, you know, as much as I love the newer movies where it's just a big action spectacle, um, and just this big, um, just globe-trotting, uh, insane action movie that they've become in the franchise. I like going back to this one. It's just a simpler movie. It's more grounded, uh, shorter. Yeah, it's definitely more realistic. Like you definitely, uh, obviously, it's ridiculous in a lot of spots, but it's you can definitely tell they are actually trying to do some stuff that spies would actually do in real life, yep. like with disguises and. Um, like making the guy, um, at the beginning, Dimitri t- tricking him into thinking, uh, you know, he murdered some that's like the real stuff that like spies would actually do. So I do appreciate that, that this is more of a spy movie. Um, but yeah, I, I like that part about the film. You know, you kind of forget about that when you go back and rewatch this one. Um, my next pro is the score. I mean, who doesn't remember, you know, the iconic mission impossible song, you know, that's the only thing I ever knew from the TV show. Um, and it's just great here. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I'm a big fan of the score. It's definitely grew on me a lot more uh, rewatching it this time. Um, so those are the pros for me. All right, cons. All right, cons, cons, cons. Um, like
2: I've mentioned throughout the plot, it's very convoluted. Um, I can I, I can see how that can just throw a lot of people off, and you know. Tease their own, like I said. The Phelps reveal at the end—it's too obvious. It's very obvious. It's—it's it's like it's the worst kept secret in Hollywood history. Uh, and the movie lacks the number of action sequences compared to future films. This one's more grounded, plot-driven, story-focused. What have you? Um, and that's not necessarily a con against the movie um honestly, that's more of a con like in preparation of giving someone a heads up that maybe that's not this is that it's not their cup of tea maybe I don't I don't know um but yeah that that's the, those are my cons though I mean uh, real quick before actually you go one last thing just don't let these cons you know, Make me take away from what I think of the film overall, and we'll get to that. So I'm getting ahead of myself. All right, Corey, how about you? What are your cons?
6: Uh, yeah, kind of similar. Like, yeah, the whole plot twist is kind of laughably bad. I mean, I remember as a kid, I was surprised. I was like, oh, the, you know, his mentor did it. Like, you know, it got me when I was ten. But that that that's probably the only scenario in which. Um, I wouldn't have realized kind of what was going on, so I, I wish that would have been done. Well, it's a big deal uh,
2: because Jim Phelps was a character from the show, so I can see how that pissed off a lot of fans of maybe the original series that went and saw this movie too. They're like our beloved Jim Phelps, you made him the villain. You know, I can see how that that could ruffle some feathers for you know older fans. Um, having not seen that show, um, doesn't really affect me. It's just the one thing about the movie, other than the the, the 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 plot twist at the end being so obvious. Like I said, worst kept secret. The fact that you casted John Voight is like, dude, come on, John Voight. You know something bad's gonna happen if John Voight's in the role. Like the dude was <laughs> born to play a villain. You know, there's none the, there hasn't been a fucking villainous role. He hasn't sniffed out. You know, that's just how John Boyd is. So, but go on. Sorry for cutting
6: you off. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Um, my next con is uh, kind of like what you said. I, I would have liked maybe another action uh, scene thrown in there. I mean, obviously, like you have the opening um, operation that you start out with and the Langley. Um, stuff going on in the middle, and then at the end with the train. So it's spaced out fairly well, but uh, you know, I I could have did with like maybe a little bit of hand to hand combat or guns or something. I mean, you know, I'll say this: I I think it's pretty cool that, that Ethan Hunt doesn't actually shoot a gun in the movie. Like it, it it's not that type of movie, but I could have did with maybe just a little bit of that, but. But
2: then the next film, he suddenly, like, the master firearm craftsman, he was, like, doing 360 spins, firing off pistols and shit on his bike. Yeah, (laughs) I know. It's It's, such as, like, it's so night and day compared to this
6: movie. I know, yeah, it's just so crazy. Um, But I could have did with a little bit of that. Like, you know, he doesn't have to be, like, some kung fu master, but just maybe a little bit of hand-to-hand stuff just to put the character in a little bit more peril. Mm-hmm. Um and my last con <laughs> rewatched it, it. It's just they it got out of line, like way too easy. Like it was just obviously it wasn't easy breaking into uh the room to get to the computer, but uh, I'm like, come on, like there's no like they just walk out and then they're gone and then you know like hey can we stop at Denny's like it's just uh, way too easy. Like they're just sitting there like celebrating. Like I I don't know I. I think they should have had something else in there as well. So that's the cons for me. Alright.
2: With the new season, we uh tease the new format. We have three new categories this season and retiring two of them. So we are going to do the three categories back to back to back here. Start with the first category new for this season. One question, one answer.
3: Do you have any other
2: questions for me, counselor? Just as the title says, one question, we give one answer. So why didn't Ethan just trick Jim into chewing a piece of gum right before the big finale? Can you imagine (laughs) the two of them at the end in that that luggage cart? Like, Ethan's just saying, you could have it all, Jim. Care for some gum before you go? (laughs) (laughs) Chewing gum? (laughs) And then what happens, too, when you chew that gum? Like. What happens other than, like, ah, oh, lasagna, don't get any on you? Like, no, like, what happens like, logistically? Let's just say, you know, you got a, a, a an enemy you, you want to take care of. You offer him some chewing gum, and he chews the the red and green. What happens after that? Do they just... their heads just... <laughs> how does the bomb go off? Like, what sparks said bomb? Like, it's gum.
6: <laughs> yeah. You just see the head blow off. <laughs> anyway, what's your question? Uh my question is uh you know at-, at Langley, do they build all their super secret office vaults with a huge fucking vent at the top of the room like <laughs> I mean, like I understand you need uh some AC for Don in there like you can't be sitting in there without his AC and his heat with direct but, access too but uh does it really need to be like four foot by four foot wide <laughs> like th- this huge ass vent I mean it literally looks like it, it could suck someone up into the vent it or looks something like, a like fucking that missile like
2: it looks like it stations like a goddamn like warhead
6: yeah it- it's just so oversized and ridiculous I'm like you have this secure uh, vault and then they're like uh you know we're designing the ducks uh you know literally uh Anybody could crawl through. <laughs> like, just anybody of any size, like a fucking football player, could make it through that thing. Uh, but, you know, mice. it seems... Sec- they have a mouse problem, too. Yeah, it seems secure to me. You know, we'll just add it in, so, uh, you know, you can't touch the floor, uh, you know, uh, you can't have too much noise, you can't be too loud, and, uh, you know, he's got a passcode on his computer, so it'll be fine. No one will definitely come through that ceiling, that'll never happen. cuz do you know what comes with all those
2: temperature changes, especially those that are that extreme? A little thing called condensation. And what happens yeah. with condensation? Your vent starts dripping. So, do I have to really spell things out for you? Like, you know, come on now.
6: Yeah, it's just that, but uh, that's just my question. I'm like, I think after Ethan Hunt breaks in whoever designed that vent like whatever contractor's probably getting never getting another contract with the government <laughs> right after that they're like jesus christ like why do you need uh, all these entrances <laughs> 4 foot by 4 foot in all our secure buildings like well it seemed like a good idea at the time you are fired <laughs> all right that fly
2: <laughs> all right second new category for the season recasting call. No, Dickhead, of course I could.
0: A nutless monkey could do your job. Oh, I don't. Now go get drunk and take credit at all the parties. I would never do ah. that to you, Junkie.
2: We are, we're gonna recast some roles in this film, not every role, just the main roles, couple, you know, just to have some fun. So, listen, there's a role for Bill Paxton somewhere in this movie. Probably as Jack, although his death wouldn't have been as shocking as it would with, uh, you know, with Milio in the role. That, or in the original plan of having Martin Landau and Company returning only to be picked off in the beginning by an evil Peter Graves, like just have them come back. That, but no, the main the main thing is, um, Bill Paxton. Like, I'd probably recast Jack as with uh, Bill Paxton. Sit out. Emilio, sorry Emilio, just go do some Muddy Ducks films, you'll be alright you got Bill Paxton here, you know that's just, I don't know That that's what I came up with, that's what I was thinking about, like, watching the film and thinking about this category afterwards I was just like, you know what there's definitely a role for Bill Paxton in this film somewhere, and I thought about it more and more, and I was like I think it might be Jack how about you, I'm mm-hmm. curious to hear what your role would be
6: yeah, I, I don't know. I had a tougher time with this one because nothing really stood out to me that, uh, I was like, oh yeah, I would definitely recast. Um, no, but you know this role. But the category
2: isn't like. Yeah, you know, I'm not saying like, pick a person who did a bad job. Like it, it could have been. No, like, I, I know. Could recast like even Tom Cruise. Like it doesn't matter. Like I'm not saying like the point. The point isn't to like recast them because they did a bad job. It's it's to recast them just because it's funny. Like curiosity that's all
6: yeah i know i mean i i wasn't really necessarily looking for like a weak point but okay uh good. yeah that's not the way i took it it's just it okay, i don't know it's just like tom cruise is so synonymous with ethan hunt like yeah it would be weird to see someone else thrown in there like i don't know maybe it's just the ties to um and i just watched hunt for red october recently but I kind of I would have liked uh, Sean Connery um, in there as, like, Jim Phelps or something like that. I don't know, just, like, the ties to, like, the spy movie, like, Hudford October. I don't know why I wanted Sean Connery in there. And then, like, when he's on the bridge, like, I just imagine Sean Connery smiling as he's, like, uh, staging the whole thing. And he's like, Ethan... Ethan. like I don't know, that's just what was <laughs> popping into my head the whole time. And then Sean Connery with the stupid goddamn grin on his face Ursa. as he's like falling over Ursa. the bridge.
5: Yeah.
6: Uh. Junior. <laughs> so that's, just what, <laughs> that's just what I was thinking of the whole time, it was uh, Sean Connery for some goddamn reason. Oh, and Alec funny. Baldwin. Alec Baldwin could be Ethan Hunt, I don't know why. Well, Alec Baldwin's
2: <laughs> in the new Mission Impossible
6: movies. Yeah, I know. He has <laughs> his role there, but he could be Ethan, too. He could <laughs> he oh, man. Can pull himself a That's
2: some, like, phew. All right. Next final new category. Make it a blockbuster night. Tonight, make it a blockbuster night. So, come on. Pretend the movie... Pretend Blockbuster's open. You're renting a new movie this weekend. It's the movie that we're watching. Or, I'm sorry, the movie we're talking about today. It doesn't matter what time, what year it came out. Every night's a Blockbuster night in this category. So, for me, it's 1996. So, I'm renting this bad boy along with a copy of The Night Professor. I distinctly remember them <laughs> both coming out on video, like, the same Tuesday in late 96. Um... Along with a bag of that blockbuster popcorn, and to top it all off, a bag of Butterfinger BBs. Oh yeah,
6: that's my yeah. blockbuster night. That's what I'm doing with this sucker. How about you? I mean, I wouldn't normally pick this, but I mean, how can I not rent this movie with some chewing gum? Yeah. I, I, I mean, how can you not go with that? Like, I I would never really usually pick out the pick out the gum, but I mean, I would have to be sitting there like. You know, red light, green light, you know, the whole time. Uh Uh, So gum would be my answer for the candy. And then as far as the movie, uh, I don't know, just like Jerry Maguire just popped into my head. Is Jerry Maguire even out at this point? Like, was it released the same year? ninety? It was around this time. Jerry Maguire
2: came out like the week before Christmas in 96. It came out the same day, Scream.
6: All right, so we'll go with it. I'm renting uh, like this stuff at the um, in beginning of '97 or something. <laughs> then, right, we'll so go uh, with
5: that.
6: <laughs> so I, I I don't know. I just go with like a '96 Tom Cruise double feature. Uh, you have the action Tom Cruise, and then you have uh, the drama. I don't know. He was just on fire that year, like just Mission Impossible. Then later, Jerry Maguire, and he was just like Tom Cruise's always been hot. Uh, like you know, he's always been big on the scene but I just feel like that period in time I mean he was just like king of the world like oh, yeah. <laughs> you know you couldn't turn anywhere without uh, Tom Cruise so that that would be my double feature is uh, Mission Impossible and Jerry Maguire alright
2: let's move on then to Mulligan moment if you had to do it all over again would you make the same choices there's one more mission or action sequence that could easily be added to this film. Like there's this huge chunk of dialogue going on from the beginning of the film to the Langley heist where another mission could have, you know, easily fit there like in the in between like maybe like end of the first act of the film beginning of the second act like kick off your second act with a with, a, with a, like a set piece or something like a like a sequence um I just felt like one good action sequence they could have added to this movie and just taking it from you know great to unbelievable or something who knows but uh, yeah that's what I would change how about you
6: yeah I mean I have similar sentiments to you like you know I would like to maybe add just a little bit more but also and I, I, I keep going back to this but I'm like just make it a little tougher for him to get out of Langley like You know, the whole vault scene where he's hanging, that's all really good. That's gold. Uh, But, you know, maybe just throw another obstacle or two in there where uh, getting out of Langley is not as easy and Ethan Hunt has to get his hands dirty a little bit and uh, fight off a couple guards or something like that. I don't know. Just add in something a little bit there. Right. uh, Because, like I said, they just walk out way too easy uh, for my liking. So that would be mine. All right. Ah, Finger looking Good. It's Finger looking
7: Good.
2: This one's pretty easy. The Langley Heist. This this scene is just the highlight of the movie. It's the one sequence that I always look forward to checking out whenever I'm watching this. Um, It's iconic. It's fun. I still watch it and I'm right there with Ethan, like I'm almost sweating from my nerves. Like it's 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 an intense scene to watch, even though I know it's going to happen. So, uh, yeah, Langley Heist is uh, my finger looking good. How about you, Core?
6: Yeah, I mean it's hard not to pick the Langley Heist. Uh, I'll give honorable mention. I do like the opening um operation that they pull, uh, just because you get such the cool supporting cast with you know Emilio uh, and his banter. Um, and all the other agents, like, it's just cool having the big team involved there and all their history. Like, it's just, uh, cool seeing the, and a little bit of the relationship between the different, uh, team members. Right. So I'll give an honorable mention. I enjoyed the opening scene a lot more, uh, this go around than I did last time. And it was kind of funny seeing, uh, Tom Cruise play like the old, um, Monopoly looking guy at the beginning, (laughs) the Senator, (laughs) like, it was pretty funny, uh, you know, it was like, because I'll say this too, it was like a little silly looking because like, couldn't they have had someone else play the senator on TV and then have Tom Cruise and the makeup just look similar? Like, did they really need Tom Cruise to play the senator on the TV? Like the real senator as well? Like, isn't that a little weird to you? <laughs> like, why couldn't they just like have had an actor that just looks similar to Tom Cruise in old man makeup? So it's not exactly the same. I just kind of laughed a little bit when I watched that again. So I think um, the
2: idea but, is... You know I don't even know. I I, I don't know. Like the, why the did they need to play the real set? I was like, why did they do that? Like, I, I guess because of did a makeup. Because, like I said before, this was the only film but they did it practically. And not, you know, not a link of digital effects. Maybe a little bit when they take off the mask. But for the most part, it's like... Ninety-six percent practical. Maybe that's why to make it easier, like instead of having to come up with something to look like to re- resemble somebody else, like they could just have Tom Cruise in the role, and then they could just use that makeup that he's wearing as the mask or something. Maybe I don't know. I, I don't know. It could be for a number of reasons. I I didn't come across it unfortunately. Yeah. During my I... note taking.
6: I just thought it was funny, but yeah, I have to pick the Langley scene. I mean, it's the highlight of the film. It, it, it It's the best part. I, It's pretty awesome seeing him go in, Uh, you know, as the fireman, like everybody has their part to play. Uh, You know, you have Claire sitting in the um, cafeteria uh, poisoning Don Low. Uh Then obviously you have Renault and Tom Cruise up in the vents. And I love Bing Rhames. Like, he's pretty good. Uh, In this whole scene, uh, you know, like when he's like, I see you like just the way he's smiling, looking at his computer the whole time. Like, I I really do appreciate him in this because you don't uh, get to see uh, Ving Rames like that in a lot of movies. He's kind of plays like a serious, like, you know, big tough guy role. And in this one, he's like smiling and just a little bit different. So I appreciate that. But, yeah, the whole scene is great other than, you know, my my issue with the ending. But. Definitely iconic for a reason. Just really well thought out, really well executed uh, in a cinematic way, and just very memorable. All
2: right, we're going to move on then to our movie MVPs.
1: All right, now, you might think I'm a little biased, but I take my job as a presenter very seriously. I will show no favoritism. I am here to honor excellence. And the most valuable player is...
2: Tom Cruise. Pretty simple for me. Um probably have similar answers. But yeah, Tom Cruise though. Um, he's a star of not only this film but the franchise. And, you know, both behind the scenes and in front of the camera. Like he just puts on a spectacular performance and does a lot to um you know, entertain the masses. He does a damn good job in these movies and only gets better per film, in my opinion. So it's it's kind of hard not to pick him as the MVP. Is what I'm getting at, but I, yeah, I, yeah, but yeah,
6: nah, I mean, it's a pretty obvious answer, but uh, you know, I'll just call out some other people. Like I like I said, I like Bing Rames and his performance. Uh, you, you know, even though he's not in there that much, uh, you know, he brings something, and there's a reason the Luther character comes back so many times. Likable character, uh, John Renault in there, he plays his role very well. Uh, you know, nothing spectacular, but um you know he's good uh but i would say the biggest honorable mention i would give for the movie and uh one of my favorite characters other than ethan hunt is kittredge henry uh zerny he's great Hmm. like just like i said you just want to see him get punched in his face like (laughs) at the beginning like just that smug uh douchebag so uh yeah he plays the um part well just his delivery is just spot on I'm like they did perfect Cassie he's just playing and playing that part perfectly but how do you not give it to Tom Cruise I mean it's his movie it's his franchise he he stars in it he does all the stunts he produces it. it it's his baby I mean just the amount of stuff he does in these films and you know you think this film like yeah he does his own stunts like he runs from the water and Um, All the other countless crazy stuff he probably did in the movie hanging from the ceiling. Uh, You know, this is child's play compared to what he's going to do later in the franchise. So Uh, but yeah, just doing his own stunts. And like you said, the intensity, like, you know, he brings it uh, at the beginning of the movie. Like you definitely feel his anxiety and intensity when his whole team is killed uh, at the beginning. Like, you know, you watch some action movies and like all these people just died and the action stars just playing it cool the whole time. Like, oh, whoa. Like, you know, it's not like that in this movie. Tom Cruise is fucking all amped up. He's like, They're dead. <laughs> you know, They're all dead. Um, like, it's just you feel it for him. So it, it all comes through on there. So uh, other than the weird uh, love stuff, uh, his performance is spot on. And just like I said, one of the most memorable roles he's ever played uh, just long-running and awesome. So it has to be Tom Cruise is Ethan Hunt.
5: All right.
2: Time to give our final effect ratings. Ow. On,
0: a on a scale of one... On a scale... On a scale... On a scale of one to ten. <laughs> on a scale of one to ten. Give me the damn veggies. What do you
5: think?
2: All right. I am going ahead and giving this three and a half stars. There's a lot to be said about the first Mission Impossible film that really does not... It, it that it, it, really opens up Pendo's box for the rest of the franchise that follows. Like, yes, it can be very confusing during key moments, but overall, it's not a very hard film to follow. The action and plot hold up, and it's still one of the franchise's better films, especially that bullet train sequence at the end. It still holds up. Effects-wise, everything. All the reasons I became a fan back in 96 still you know, holds up to this day as I'm watching it for the podcast. It, it's, it was incredible in 96. It's incredible in 23. I am a huge fan of this movie. I can't wait for future films. And, uh, you know, I'm really happy that I chose to do this for the anniversary. So yeah. Um, how about you? What do you, what are you giving this film core?
6: Yeah, it's a solid film. Uh, I'll give it three out of five. Nice. Um, yeah, it, it, it's one of the better ones in the franchise. I mean, you know, it's tough to compare this one to the later ones. Cause it's like, if I'm ranking them on action and spectacle and things like that, like obviously the later movies are going to have this beat. Uh, but if I'm looking at it from a spy movie perspective, I mean, I think this one definitely has pretty much all the other ones beat. So, uh, you know, it's tough for me. Uh, I haven't rewatched um, any of the other ones recently, uh, so I'll have to go back. Uh, but, you know, just real quick, not to get too off topic, but like, I enjoy the whole franchise, other than the second one. The second one's the only one I'm not really a fan of. I wouldn't say it's a terrible movie, uh, but that's definitely the one that's like the most product of its time <laughs> in the late 90s, early 2000s, and the ridiculousness with the motorcycles and the uh, masks and just the john woo craziness that happens in that movie uh just i'm not a big fan of that but i'll have to rewatch it maybe i'll be softer on it after uh going back and watching it again but um yeah this one's always have a um soft spot in my heart i mean i saw it when i was young i wasn't really into it um you know believe it or not i've seen all the mission impossible films in theaters uh so it's pretty crazy to think about that. Just throughout the years, I never really planned it that way. It's not like my favorite franchise, but it just works out that I've always enjoyed the Mission Impossible movies. I'm like, oh, I'll go see that in theaters. I'll go see that. I mean, seeing Fallout in the IMAX uh, format was pretty awesome. <laughs> it was like that was pretty worth it. Like that helicopter scene at the end. Um, so yeah, it's just a franchise I love and and this first one is the one that starts it all. It definitely has the closest ties to the, uh, spy roots and the TV show, even though it doesn't have any of the original characters except for one. Um, but yeah, it's just a good time and how can you not talk about the Palma? (laughs) It's just like, I completely forgot until I was rewatching it and saw the credits come up. Uh, I was like, holy shit, the Palma directed this movie. It just blows my mind. (laughs) uh like how many big directors have worked on this franchise but yeah just an enjoyable solid movie is it uh perfect no but i mean really none of them kind of are for that but yeah just solid three out of five good time and one that's definitely grown on me more uh as i've rewatched it so yeah definitely recommend it all
2: right spies like us or spies you can't trust seems to be the message that many often ponder when it comes to Brian De Palma's Mission Impossible. What started as a typical tale of fleshing out the mole has now spawned into this mega-series that's chock-full of style, beauty, and jaw-dropping stunts performed by Tom Cruise himself. It is your grandfather's variety. Is it your grandfather's variety of the series or a sudden change-up? for the new era of movie watchers. One thing's certain, it would spawn one of the biggest and most successful action spy franchises of the 21st century, and now, 27 years later, we're revisiting all of these films in an effort to bring the ever-popular series to a close with the two-part Dead Reckoning finale. In the end, just embrace it. We're never going to get another franchise like this in our lifetime again, but who knows? Anything can happen. A wise man once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around every once in a while, you can miss it. Take care of one another, and stay gold. That's gonna close the book on Mission Impossible, a film that 100% gets that full Film Effect seal of approval. One down, many, many, many more to follow. Check out our ever-growing collection of previous episodes on all major podcast platforms, and please be sure to follow us on our active social media platforms and Twitter and Facebook. Twitter at Film Effect Pod, Facebook. Film Effect Podcast. We'd really love to hear your feedback on this episode or any of our previous episodes you may have listened to recently. You can leave us a review or rating on Apple, Spotify, Facebook, email it to us at the Film Effect Podcast or wherever you're listening that allows such wonderful things. Kick off your weekends with an all new Fever Cast episode coming at you each and every Saturday, and of course, the Film Effect Podcast each and every week right here on the main feed next week the film effect madness continues with another episode on that thing you do this time with Corey joining me along with the new format i previously covered the film alone back in 2021 when the podcast first started but uh now i'm doing it with someone else in tow and i'm looking forward to doing it i know it's a favorite of yours it's a favorite of mine um but yeah, other than that, Corey, cool. yeah, any last words before we depart?
6: Yeah, I just got a plug, uh, I was on Carlo's show, uh, The Movie oh, nice. Loot uh, was on the January episode, it should be out by now uh, yeah, I, I talked to him a few days ago, so it should be released a few days before this is released uh, so go ahead and check his podcast out if you like uh, movies, which I'm assuming you do if you're listening to us uh, it's called The Movie Loot uh, and he has a couple different uh, formats on there but uh, basically, I was part of the January movie loot, uh, so bas- uh, we picked five categories that were all somehow related to the month of January. So there was Friday the 13th in January, so we watched a Friday the 13th movie. Um, the Sudanese Independence Day happened in January, so we watched a movie from Sudan. Um, also, Academy Awards season uh, is happening right now, so we both watched um, an old, early Academy Awards movie. Uh, And there's a couple other categories thrown in there as well. So we each watch five movies that we might not have necessarily watched otherwise and just talk about it and have a good time. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Carlo is an awesome guy. Uh, It was really fun being on the show. Uh, Hopefully he'll be back on the podcast with us again because he was on the Us episode and a fewer cast. Uh, so yeah, thank you so much, Carlo. Look forward to coming back again uh, sometime down the road because we have a few ideas. And I look forward to you coming back on the show, but check it out.
2: Yeah, everyone, check out The Movie Loot. Carlo, big big friend of the show. And uh, Corey's episode as well. So uh, definitely check that out. But uh, yeah, thanks to all so much. So very, very much for listening. And uh, I guess that's that. We'll talk again next week. Take care now. Bye-bye. Red light,
6: green light.